It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Rebel in order, 
And he's also joined by Logan. Hello, sir. And guest seven is there. And uh, guest eight will unmute you uh, shortly. Uh, we just like to keep our guests on a tight leash for the first few moments. So uh, make yourself comfortable and uh, just to ignore the mess in the corner. We're having trouble with the cleaning staff. <sighs> I told you, Cybob, you're going to get in order. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> That's why he was shot into space, huh? Exactly. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, there's only one more person to introduce, and that's the Typing Monkey. It's news time. Go, Typing okay. Monkey, go. Well, and they're all in. They're all in. <laughs> all right, uh, we've got some assorted news. Um, one that I'm very, very interested in, but if you don't want to be spoiled about uh, certain um, shows where celebrities are held captive, I guess, um, then uh, cover your ears. Uh, there's been a leak on uh, the cast lineup for I'm a Celebrity. Get me out of here. Uh, and the only one that really interests me is Colin Baker. Colin Baker's going to be in it. So, hey, that's cool. I don't, I don't know who any of these other people are. Yeah, that's the trouble. I actually put the link in earlier, but I hate it when they actually have the, the, the spoiler in the blooming URL. It does annoy you. Let's see. Uh, Helen Flanagan... Don't know who it is. And, and Hugo Taylor. Don't know who he is. Producers um, are delighted to have Charlie Brooks and our awaiting confirmation from Dwayne Johnson Rock. Oh, I've heard of him. Mm-hmm. That's about it. I don't know who Charlie Brooks is either. So. Anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that. Uh, that's that news. Uh, moving on to um, more Doctor Who news uh, on uh, Doctor Who's News dot net. Uh, they've posted the uh, Live Plus Seven viewing figures, which I asked the question before: what's Live Plus Seven? But of course, I've read on and found out uh, the Live Plus Seven figures uh, gives the total numbers viewing a program within a week of transmission, including all watching on PBR, transmission repeats, and on iPlayer. And uh, so uh, the first run uh, of uh, the first part of C- Series 7, Asylum uh, uh, of the Daleks, got uh, 6.39 uh, million. And uh, the Live Plus 7 figures are uh, 9.65. Um, so you can go and see the rest of the figures. I'm not going to read them all out because that's just boring. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting to see uh, those kind of figures being uh, now taken into consideration as... Uh, um, Normally we just get the, the, the live viewing figures you know, on the night. Um, it's nice to see they're factoring in other ways that people watch the show. Um, of course, there's one way that they're not accounting for, but we won't go into that. No. All right, uh, more Doctor Who news. Um, one, that's, one that interests me is, uh, uh, and this is just all speculation and, and, and nothing announced or anything, but uh, uh, I thought it was quite interesting. Uh, Deep Space Nine actor uh, Aaron Eisenberg uh, has said he'd love to be in the show, especially if Peter Jackson uh, directs. If they called me, I'd be there. I'd want to play some fun, interesting, crazy little character. I'd love to get into something uh, really cool, uh, really fun and cool. It would be awesome. Doctor Who is on my Netflix queue. So uh, uh, there's so uh, many things on my Netflix queue I still haven't been able to see um, Game of Thrones. So, um, so that's really kind of cool. Um, uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, he played that uh, Nargon, um, D-Space Nine. 
Right, and the only other thing I, I, I wanted to make mention of is a uh, talk on uh, the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Peter Davidson um, was talking to somebody about the 50th anniversary, and says, uh, every day I check the phone to see if Stephen Moffat has called me. I don't know what's happening next year. I have nothing to report. I'm sure it'll be something fantastic, uh, but I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know what. I think uh, if the classic doctors are, uh, aren't invited, I'm going to make my own rival video. I'll do my own 50th anniversary special. Colin Baker's prepared to work for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, meanwhile, the uh, special documentary for the anniversary uh, seems to fall and foul of the uh, uh, recent revelations, um, according to the latest edition of Private Eye magazine. As the sound of stable doors slamming shut resounds throughout the BBC, uh, the Jimmy Savile scandal having is having some uh, increasingly bizarre after-effects. Uh, a one-off docudrama about the creation of Doctor Who, scripted by Mark Gaddis, is in production to be broadcast on November 2013 in celebration of the program's 50th anniversary. Its makers have just been ordered to excise all scenes set in television center dressing rooms. Odd. Just really kind of odd. Mm. I, just, I, I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things, uh, you know, overreaction, of course. Which I hope they find it just a way around it, you know. Um, because that's kind of what we want to see. We want to see it's turning into a bit of a witch hunt. I mean, and I don't mean to make light of what the situations no. were, but I mean, it, it's one of these where it just seems to be... Uh, Talking about putting the whole the whole spotlight, uh, the, you uh, as much as this needs to be sorted out and the horrendous nature of it, uh, you almost feel as though there's a few people got the knives out for the BBC right. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, that's that's all I've got for 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 news. I don't know if you had anything, Dave, but. Uh... Well, We've got well, one, just, one, one news item to finish up on, but uh, I want to make sure. Well, well one thing, just to, just to mention that Mark Gatiss's uh, Horror Europa uh, was aired on uh, BBC4. I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, I thought it was going to be all foreign language stuff, and obviously it does deal with foreign language films, but um, um, again, he, he seems to know... Well, I mean, I don't know enough to, to prove that he doesn't know his stuff, if you know what I mean, but there seems to be an awful lot of... Um, good uh, background and research done to it. So if you enjoyed the other uh, Mark Gatiss horror ones he did, look out for Horror Europa. I can find a link maybe in a bit. Yep. So look out for that link. Dave's going to put that in there. <laughs> All right, we're on to our last news item, which we thought we'd say for last because there's probably going to be a little bit of discussion. Um, Dave, you want to take this one or you want me to... Uh... Well, I'm looking for a link at the moment, so please... Ah, oh, see, you can't do two things at once. <laughs> I can't. I cannot. I'd make a great president. <laughs> well, of course, um, it was announced uh, earlier this week that um, Lucasfilm has been sold to Mickey Mouse. Um, so, yeah, Lucasfilm has been sold to, to, uh, to Disney. And uh, that was... Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna bring you guys in on this now because I mean that's the news, and pretty much everyone's heard it. Um, was it a surprise to to anyone else here? Let's go to Ken see if he wants to come in. Totally surprising, shocking, out of out of out of left field. It's Disney is becoming a, a gigantic 
Fortune Entertainment as if they weren't already. Mm. They they own the Muppets, they own Marvel, Pixar, and now Lucas from In- the thing is including ILM. Now, which, I th- which was the thing that really got me. I thought, oh well, they're just broken up, you know, they put Lucasfilm over here, and but no, ILM as well. Yeah, so of- I mean, the technology, everything cutting edge is going to be coming from Disney. In oh, now this is this is great on one hand for the fan of entertainment at the moment because Disney is at an upswing. You know, um, back about 20 years ago or so, when like the Black Hole and Return to Oz came out, um, Disney was wavering as a company. Eisner came in and turned it around. Theme park properties, films, everything. It was like a golden age, again, of animation. Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, etc. Then things started faltering. And we have a new regime aligned with Pixar and new blood there with all these properties being bought. I mean, it's a great thing to have non-Lucas Star Wars. God bless him, and and I worship at the shrine of George Lucas for what he gave us. But a fresh view, and I, I never would want any more Star Wars films as much as I have enjoyed the prequels. It kind of is dis- disturbing the love of my youth for modifications to films. I, I hate going back to classic films, whatever they are, and messing with them. You know, there, there's something utterly uh, distasteful to me in that. You know, leave art alone. If you want to do a special edition, fine. But you don't start screwing things up and go, well this is what I intended, and go back five years, well, no, this is what I intended. And George Lucas has this this feeling of doing that. Um, the thing is, what if there's another regime change at Disney? What if they start not caring about the properties? What if we get Millennium Falcon movies as bad as third or fourth generation Herbie films, and the quality starts palling, and they own the inevitable is they'll start selling everything off to other bidders. You'll have Sony owing, owning bits of this, bits of that, other companies vying for it. So it can be a good thing, you know, in the short term. Who knows in the long term what's going to happen? It's only as good as who's running Disney. And if they're going to keep a legacy going, as long as they go, well, we're, we're the house that Walt built, and we have this legacy to continue, and we're holding on to these other great legacies of Stan Lee and George Lucas and Jim Henson, and we're this is our cornerstone. Then it's good, but so much power in one in one company, so much that people they're holding on to our childhoods. You know, I hate to see that that destroyed. You know, so it's it's like an open question. I always hope for the best in things. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh, well, I would have to say that I am um, diametrically opposed to that view. I think it is unambiguously great news. Um, that there are a lot of 
great factors here. I mean, first of all, as you've just recognized there, Disney has taken in whole properties, um, and they've done pretty well by them. I don't think that we can particularly complain about the treatment that the Muppets have received under the Disney banner, um, and certainly that franchise looks to be a little bit more revitalized now, uh, now that they've found logical successors. And if anything, what's great about this is that somebody who clearly is really retirement age um, is acting responsibly towards the property that he set up. He could have just said, screw it, I'm holding on to it until the day I drop. And then what happens on the day he drops? Where does it go? Is it you know, gifted to his daughter, his oldest daughter? Is it gifted to his uh, children equally? Then that's a mess legally. Um, in, in this way, what he's doing is saying, I want the whole thing kept together. I'm going to put it with the company that I've been working with for years that is closest to my set of values um, and that was also built by a similar entrepreneur to myself. And it's, it's, a, it's a natural fit. Um, the other thing is that, of course, you know, you're talking about these technological side of Lucasfilm, I mean, ILM and whatnot. Well, you know, they already have one thing that was pioneered by Disney, which is Pixar. Um, well, I suppose it's, you know, Disney Apple combined, but still. Um, well, Disney, Apple, and uh, ultimately, that was Lucasfilm anyway, to begin with, really. Um, so it's just bringing the technology side back together. And you're talking about the one company on Earth that has always been at the forefront of evolution, of technological evolution, in the entertainment business. I mean, Walt Disney himself has more technical Oscars than... Uh, I don't know what you artistic Oscars. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about the guy who invented multiplane camera. Um, it's a fabulous thing that it's going to do. I can't think of anywhere else I would want it to go. And let's not forget, Lucas is getting $2 billion, $2 billion of Disney stock. He is a major stockholder in this company till the day he drops. And who is he leaving in charge? Kathleen Kennedy. Now, frankly, that's fabulous. That's a great move. That's a move that should have been made a long time ago. Kathleen Kennedy is, you know, one of the, the, the forces behind the success of Raiders um, and, and really, you know, sort of working variously behind and in front of the scenes with the original Star Wars movies. I mean, you're, Kathleen Kennedy is sort of the soul, as it were, of Star Wars. And, well, certainly the soul of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I, I just, I don't see any kind of downside to this at all. I mean, you're talking about, well, what will happen 40 years from now if they decide to sell it? You can't split apart Star Wars. You can't say, logically, nobody's going to take a deal where they get only the rights to the Old Republic era, or they, they get only the rights to episodes four, five, and six. There's, there's never going to be a deal that can be made where you're saying Star Wars gets split up. That's not, that's not a viable prospect, even. 
Um, so this is, I just, you know, and it, you look at the other parts of Lucas that are going here. Um, you know, Lucas Entertainment. I think, uh, and by that, of course, we mean really the games um, part of Lucas. Of course you want that to go to Disney. Uh, why not? I mean, I, I guess there is an argument that maybe you could give Lucas Entertainment to, I don't know, Activision or, you know, some other just you know, some other company that focuses just on video games. But that's kind of unlikely. Again, why would you split up the property? You wouldn't want to have somebody being able to license Star Wars games who is not also in charge of um, Star Wars film properties and Star Wars merchandising in general. You want the whole thing together. And that, of course, has been achieved. And and this is sort of the the, the story that never gets talked about Um that is the story of what happened with buying the Presidio, you know, and putting Lucasfilm up in San Francisco proper. Um, and that, that hub that they have there, which now um, combines the interests of all of the different arms of Lucas into one functioning unit so that, you know, if you're making a film or you're making the Clone Wars, better example is Clone Wars, and, and you've already established all the computer models for making the film, you just, you know, ship that computer model over to the next building where they're making games based on it, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can therefore get a game product out to market a lot faster than you would have been able to do before. And there is no business advantage whatsoever for selling off um, the you know the games part of Star Wars to somebody else, you want you want to keep that 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 working hub that they built in the Presidio together. So their fears about this being a bad thing, even in the long term, are completely unfounded, and and just sort of are you know like many things, fear fear is irrational. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But the truth of the matter is, from a business side, George Lucas is still here. I mean, you don't have $2.5 billion, $2.0 billion of Disney stock and not have some sort of say over what's going on. I mean, that's just a ridiculous amount of stock. Um, you know, Darth, in, all res- in all respect, I wasn't talking about fear. I'm talking about I'm positive with a sense of caution. I, oh, there's not even, yeah. Okay, caution in, 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 okay. In the last, let's say, five years, I've seen a beloved form of art, the 2D animation style, basically become extinct within all companies, except, thankfully, for Disney and the new regime as they pledge to keep this going a piecemeal year after year. I'm saying that as it is, it's a very positive thing. Understand what I was saying. I think it's great in the short term as long as these people are there. But I've seen enough buyouts. I've seen what happened to uh, to uh, Coppola's Zoetrope. I've seen what happened to other companies that get ransacked. There's other possibilities. I'm talking about that you have so much in one company that I'm with you in a positive sense, wanting these legacies to continue and... I've seen lean years in Disney when they were producing, I would say, veritable junk. When Disney was having a lot of problems 
uh, during his strike, where some of the classic animators were shunned. Now that we're talking about that old days, thirty years ago. We're, yeah, I know that. That's I know that. Day. That is totally. That's not even in the same universe. Well, really. that's, that's, that's not even fine. the same company. All, all I'm saying is, I remember history. I don't forget it, and that's also on my mind. But it is a great thing. I agree with you on this. But don't mistake my words of that I feel a caution in seeing some history and my feeling that it's a great positive thing for uh, right now. I yeah, I suppose. But you were you were talking about it potentially meaning that Star Wars will get split apart. Not split apart. Is- not cheapened. Cheapened. Well, it, it's been cheapened already in my book, but it can only get better. But, you know, I don't want to see something I love go into the trash heap. That goes through Muppets, and yes, it was great, but if you ask Frank Oz, it wasn't. So it's, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, I, I'm happy with what they're doing. I want, to, I want to keep it that way. I want other generations to keep it that way. That's it. I, I, I think one of the criticisms I've heard, and it's not a criticism I hold, but I've heard, is not so much the fact that they're worried about uh, Lucas going into Disney, just the fact that then... Disney has control of too many stuff. I mean, it's it's got it's already got Marvel, hasn't it, and other things. And they're not. Con- it's not the fact that it's got Star Wars. It's just the fact that it's it now represents such a massive, um, you know, having maybe a, a, a too controlling. A- exactly what I said. It, it's can they keep all of this together without something falling by the wayside? I'm I'm hoping it's going to be fantastic. I'm always an optimist, but you know, yeah, I, 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 I've, I I've seen I've seen a lot of disappointment in things too. So I, I mean, I, I, I can't. For, no, sorry. Go I have ahead. a quick question for you, Darth. Um, mm. Do you have any concerns as to the future of uh, Clone Wars? Um, I. Not that I know of. I you mean, mean they'll lose the franchise? You mean to... to well, it, be, it being basically moved, I guess, from Cartoon Network to Disney XD, I'm assuming. If that's what the route they go. I mean, you would assume that they want to bring everything into one into one stable, correct? Would I assume that? I don't know that I know. No, I, I, I said one, one I don't word. Know. I, mean, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk about what they would do, and I just wondered if you had any thoughts on I mean, it. I can, I can certainly see that Clone Wars would... You know, uh, I mean, it's it's already reached the point where it can go into syndication because we're in like series, we're in season five, and so therefore there's you know 100 episodes. So you've hit that mark where you can package it and play it back. Do I see the potential of you know Disney XD running the hell out of it in sort of rerun mode? Yeah, I can see them doing that. I'm not. I haven't heard anything about it actually moving from too early. Um, well, there's just been a lot of you know. But yeah, even so, there. would that we'll, be? Will happen, you know. I, I don't. I mean, there's no. It's not like Disney doesn't make things that go on other networks, but ABC. They, they clearly make stuff right. that goes on other networks. But I mean, that Arrested Development. They made Arrested Development that was on Fox. Um, right. Well, I just want to how things were as far as as far as you know, they're, they're, who does the animation for? Um, I mean, Clone it, Wars, etc. Would that make a change in the show no. itself, or? No, because they they wholly bought Lucasfilm Animation too. So, okay, you know, I wasn't sure who was handling the whole animation. Yeah, no, that's it. it's it's one hundred percent Lucasfilm Animation, as I understand okay. the deal. They bought 
they bought not just the Presidio side of it, but they also bought the Singapore side of it. So it's all a done deal. Now, well, that'd be cool. The thing then, I'm, then I wouldn't be worried then because if. You know, it's one no. of those things where they changed I mean, the animation or something. Like what they did with the final series of uh, X-Men back in the what, early 90s. You know, and oh, the animation uh, company took it over and it just ruined it. I, I don't think so. I mean, as far as I know, Dave Filoni is in charge of that show and that's just the end of the deal. And if you got – I am absolutely positive. I, since we've got $2 billion of Disney stock, if Disney tried to say, okay, we're going to get rid of Dave Filoni – I am 100% positive George Lucas would say, no, you are not. And he would <laughs> you know, force the issue. They'd be destroying because, the show. That, that's a yeah, Dave Filoni is at the core of that show, and you take Dave Filoni away, and it's not happening. Now, if you're saying there, there are some concerns about um, the ratings of the Clone Wars, which are independent of this whole Lucasfilm buyout, that are threatening a little bit the future of the show. And certainly the move this season from – Taking it, you know, Friday prime time to Saturday morning at whatever the ridiculous hour it is, you know, four o'clock Hawaiian. Hello, um, is is troubling, and certainly that indicates, you know, that there might be some problems with that show. Um, but they have absolutely nothing to do with the buyout. Um, and, and Darth, in, in any case, that show I is kind of coming to a natural close anyway. Darth about Clone yeah. Wars, something that. Yeah was maybe under under the wire, but it disturbed me, was every year they've been doing a two-hour premiere and making a very big deal about it every year. This year it was an hour. So that seemed like a lessening impact on the network. I mean, forget about that. The bigger worry is they moved it from... From the Friday, Friday prime. night prime time to Saturday morning where there is no longer Saturday morning TV. I mean, it's just a... Yeah. Uh, it's sort of a bad move, but now I, you know they kind of did the same thing with um, on Nickelodeon with um, Legend of Korra, and Legend of Korra held up pretty well when they did that. Um, we're only into it what six episodes or something, so we're still trying to struggle to see what the ratings are and if the ratings are sufficient for Saturday or whatever. But the the broader point about Clone Wars is not only do we see a lessening of its placement on the schedule, but you know five years in. I mean, we are kind of coming to the end of the, st- the story, and you get increasingly some fans of the show are saying, wait a minute, how many adventures can there be between episode two and episode three? You know, I mean, how much material actually is there? Um, and so that's why you, you see, uh, I suppose, the development of this sort of power hour now, where you've got that and what the hell is the thing called on the other side, the sort of more comical, lighthearted, there's a new Star Wars animated series that's, you know, being uh, wedged together to form an hour of Star Wars content now, and so I think you're starting to see the beginning of the end of the Clone Wars anyway, where you know the older series is handing off to this newer series, and then I I wouldn't be surprised since it is, has been a successful business model. I really wouldn't be surprised to see Disney say, okay, we're done with Clone Wars, but give us something else that's serious and that is uh, nevertheless animated, because um, they're not just going to. I, I cannot see Disney just throwing away what is a very efficient, an incredibly efficient animation um, operation just go to waste. You know, they'll say, I can absolutely see them saying in a year or two years, Clone Wars is done. Let us now move on to something else. And it might be something very clever. It might be something like, um, you know, setting up the pitch for Episode 7. You know? Uh, but I wouldn't see the cancellation of Clone Wars 
over the next two years as any kind of problem. I would just see it as the natural life of that product and moving on to something else. So there's that. Now, you were talking before about, uh, you know, Disney having too many things. And there is, of course, one thing that bugs the hell out of me about Disney. And the, Disney is always flirted with this problem. And it's, of course, vertical integration. And that's the thing that happens when, you know... <sighs> you get them have having too many control over too many parts of the the actual method of delivery or whatever so you got them as the producer and you've also got them as the the networks that are going on um so that means that they're controlling distribution they're controlling production side that's a little worrying for me and i don't know that it particularly impacts star wars except that you can probably be guaranteed that the network that is going to get the rights to broadcast Star Wars movies from now on is going to be in some way related to Disney. So it won't be like Spike TV probably anymore. It'll probably be something like ABC Family or uh, might even be just ABC period, whatever. And that's, you know, does it matter to me as an individual? As long as the movies still run on Christmas Day, do I care where whether I'm turning to Spike or ABC Family? Probably I don't, but it's kind of bad. And it's also, you know, the thing that I hate about how ABC, well, Walt Disney Television is working out these days is, you know, do you know if you're watching the ABC News, are you getting, you know, you're going to be getting your sports information from ESPN, you're going to be getting, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, sometimes you feel like when you're watching a straight-up news program on ABC that you are getting pushed in the direction of more Disney product. And that part of it does bother me. That part of it is, I think, a little bit anti-democratic. But that is not really strictly related to whether it's a good thing for Lucasfilm to be in Disney. I can't think of any other home that I would rather put Lucasfilm at. And I think, it, again, I think it is incredibly mature and responsible and not a little ironic that um, George Lucas is preparing the way, essentially, for his death. Um, it, it, it is, it is the, the one thing about this that kind of makes me smile is that at the end of Lucas's career, where he has entirely struggled against the system, where he has been a paragon of virtue for independent filmmakers, uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel for all these guys and gals out there who are struggling to make you know $10,000 films, whatever, thinking one day maybe I'll become George Lucas. At the end of the day, <laughs> what George Lucas has done is become a part owner in Disney. So... In a sense, that's ironic, but in a sense, it's also revenge for Lucas because he is now a major stockholder in a company that said no to him when he was trying to build Star Wars, which is delicious. And at the same time, you know, a part of me says, well, it would have been kind of nice if he had been able to, you know, train his daughter up and say, okay, you are not, you are the legitimate heir to the empire. You will take care of everything. But she may just may not have wanted that. And, you know, if he went around and did a poll of his, his children and they all said, I just don't think we could do it as well as you did. Then what else can he do but say, okay, I'm going to the, the one company that is closest to my values. And I'm going to say, here you go, but I'm sitting on your board. 
Well, <clears throat> there you go. It's an American success story. All right. Will he also right. get um, the THX, you know, the uh, the Lucas, you know, film cinema certification I, and all that? Because you said yeah. the, well, that's even I, more of the chain, isn't it? They can, because they have to, cinemas have to pass that test to get the TX, uh, well, no, THX. Actually, no, I lied to you. THX is actually no longer, he sold that not too long ago. Ah. So that's the one part of it that is, is, not in it but when you look at everything else and everything that he did at one time hold um it's kind of amazing that how much of it is is going to disney because you know you start with the thing that he sold off early which is pixar that's now disney so now lucasfilm and pixar are back together in a sense ilm skywalker sound now so there there is that distinction between THX and Skywalker Sound. Skywalker Sound is really the the part that you're probably talking about. THX is just, you know, it's a very technical thing that just has to do with the theaters. Right. Okay? It, it just has to do with the actual um, uh, distrib- uh Sorry, uh, what am I, what's the word? The actual projection of the film. Um, and you know, that's been gone for a long time. That's been gone for, good God, 10 years, 11 years, something like that. Um, he didn't have control over it for, except until the end of the 20th century. Um, but you got Pixar, you got Industrial Light Magic, you got Skywalker Sound, you've got, you know, the animation department and the animation department in Singapore. So you got the entire animation department together. You got their marketing department, which is, pretty good. I mean, not to say that Disney actually needs more marketing, but still you've got all those people that are built into the system that are there to um, focus on the brand of Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, I guess. And they're already there doing that specific job. You know, if anybody's going to lose their job, it's probably there, though. Because, you know, does Disney really need that marketing department? In the short term, probably yes. Long term, Probably they can take that over on their own. Um, and then you also have, you know, like Lucas Online, which is not that big a deal. But if there's one thing that I guess is a little bit of a worry about the way that we interact with Lucasfilm is that that online thing is going to probably go away. It's probably going to be subsumed by um, Disney Online. And, you know... Disney Online, I don't know how many of you have had much interaction with Disney Online. It is of variable quality. There is no doubt about that. Uh, I don't know if any of you play the game Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, that is nominally a part of Disney Online, but they farm. what Disney Online does is they like to farm out a lot of the constituent parts of it to other companies. I don't know how much faith I have in under Disney, the online experience of interacting with Star Wars material being great. It might be. It's, it certainly is the one part of the Disney empire that has always had just a little bit of promise. It's always been not so great. It's like the, it's all, there's a certain arrogance, I suppose, about Disney that they know that people are going to come looking for them anyway, so therefore they don't really try to make the online experience that great. But in fairness, you have to say that the Star Wars 
site, that is to say StarWars.com, is not at all what it once was. Um, so in a sense, you've got sort of a dwindling resource at Lucasfilm uh, coming into a company that has the money to do something about that, but will they actually have the wherewithal? I mean, not, will they actually have the interest to do something about that? I don't know. Um, and, and there's one core nugget of that Lucas Online thing that probably will piss off fans and nobody else. Uh, and that is, of course, at the heart of Lucas Online is the Holocron. The Holocron is, you know, where you got Leland uh, Chi, who is sort of the keeper of continuity, right? He's the, Lucas have taken the care to actually appoint somebody to do nothing but decide, is this thing in continuity or is it out of continuity? Obviously, that's very much of a fan service. I mean, that is something that the average viewer of Star Wars doesn't care about. But if you're passionate about Star Wars, or if you just are interested in the notion of continuity in general, it's an interesting experience to know that a company has actually cared enough to hire somebody to do nothing but that. Um, You certainly don't have that with Star Wars. Obviously, I mean, Star Trek, you obviously don't have that with Doctor Who. Doctor Who's the complete opposite of the situation where they just say, Screw it, there is no continuity. Um, and, and so one wonders whether the Disney regime, long-term, will really care about that. And I suppose one thing that is especially concerning to some people is, uh, will Disney decide to reboot the entire franchise? Just totally not listen to Leland Chi at all, and just say, you know, there's too much stuff. Let's just do a reboot and be done with it. And we know they're not going to do that with their, their movies. But I suppose the, the real concern, you know, because they're, they're obviously saying, no, we're going to do 7, 8, 9. Uh, and then we're going to do, you know, individual movies about certain characters after that. So the mo- in order to do 7, 8, and 9, you have to recognize that there is a 1 through 6. So clearly the movies are fine for continuity. The real question is, and the, uh, obviously we're talking about a very small percentage of people. Um, you know, if you've invested a lot of time in reading all these books, is Disney just going to say, that's not worth trying to keep straight. Let's just start again with all this other material that's out there. Uh, and to be fair, that's a question that the Star Wars community has been grappling with for a few years because it's kind of been floated a little bit by Lucasfilm anyway, or Lucas books anyway um so who knows uh but if that does happen and they do sort of reboot the as it were expanded universe um i I don't know who you're hurting there you're hurting older people who have been interested in star wars you're 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 hurting people who let's well let's see expanded universe starts in about 1991 really um so you're hurting people who have been involved in Star Wars from 91 to now. Um, if you're interested in getting Star Wars to continue to grow, which it appears Disney is interested in doing, you've got to do something to get more people reading books and more people buying comic books and everything like that. So at some point, a reboot was probably inevitable anyway. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to reboot, but if I were to guess on anything that Disney... or and I wouldn't say Disney's doing it, but anyway, if, it, if Disney were to do anything that would piss off anybody, it would probably be this notion of a reboot of the expanded universe in order to make sure that people who are 
you know, 11 years old now can actually get involved in reading and not think that they they're missing tons and tons of stuff. So that's that's it. I mean, you know, I again, I think it's a great move. I think basically it's going to keep this franchise going in a way that it couldn't do under Lucas if Lucas is saying I'm not doing seven, eight, nine. This, the, the franchise absolutely has to keep putting out m- movies. It must. There's no other way for it to survive but to do that. So I, I'm glad, that, entirely glad that this has happened. Excellent. Okay. Um, anybody else want to come in? Because we, we, we do need to move on to the topic, but I thoroughly enjoyed that analysis. So, uh, Mike, you're the only other one that may want to come in on this Um Maybe because of the, the animation side of you. Anything you want to comment? If not, we'll. Uh, although Ian's just stepped away from the the mic a moment, we'll probably move on to the main topic. But, well, there is one thing that I wanted to mention, and that's uh, over in the video game side of things. There's a, a video game franchise that started ten years ago called Kingdom Hearts, and Kingdom Hearts was uh, was sort of a crossover between Square Enix properties and Disney properties. You had character original characters from Square Enix and characters from, from Final Fantasy games like Cloud and Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII meeting up with Disney assets, you know, meeting up with Peter Pan and, uh, and you know, just all of these uh, Disney characters, Mufasa, Simba from Disney movies. Now, of course, when Disney bought Marvel... See, the thing with Kingdom Hearts is that we've got the, the two main series games, and we've got some, some offshoots here and there, but a lot of the fans are waiting for the third game, which the, the, the guy behind the series has said that he's, he's holding off on, on, on working on that game, or at least announcing anything with it, because he has some, some changes in mind to, to the characters that, that will appear. That announced, that he said that at around the same time that Disney bought Marvel, so a lot of the speculation was, okay, maybe... Uh, Square Enix is going to, you know, talk with Disney to include some some Marvel characters in Kingdom Hearts 3. So we still haven't heard anything confirmed about Kingdom Hearts Kingdom Hearts 3, and now we have this news about Lucasfilm. So now I've seen a lot of fans of the of that video game franchise uh, uh, suggesting that maybe we will get uh, some Star Wars characters here and there, or some Star Wars settings in the new Kingdom Hearts game. So as far as, of course, this, this isn't really part of the expanded universe for Star Wars, but it's a, you know, it's part of the, it's 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 a thing that's out there, the, the Kingdom Hearts franchise, the crossing over with, with Disney characters, possibly Marvel, now maybe since Disney owns Lu- Lucasfilm, maybe Star Wars. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, to mention that that there for a bit. And, you know, I, I suppose we should also mention, you know, just because now there's clear movement on, you know, Star Wars Episode 7, 8, and 9, um, this deal has zero impact, really, as far as I can see, on Indiana Jones, um, because Disney has no rights to make an Indiana Jones movie. I mean, they do from the from the perspective that they own the Lucasfilm rights to the the film, but Paramount still has the right to put out Indiana Jones 5, and that I don't know when that contract expires, but it's still in place, so therefore, Disney can't make Indiana Jones 5 without, you know, the permission of Paramount. All right. 
Um, thank you very much for that. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you close to that. Just by the way, while we have got uh, Mike on audio there, just say uh, thank you, Mike, for doing that uh, special show as we welcome Ian back into the room. Uh, that special um, uh, Cultgum Operator episode uh, has nearly 200 downloads of just that one episode so far. So thank you for that, Mike. I think it's been well received. I think you've had a couple of comments about it as well. I think it was it was fun to put together. And uh, as Halloween was coming up, I thought it would be a good time to. Okay, that, and that, for anybody who wants to get it, it hasn't got an episode number in the title. It's just a, a special edition cult, the operator, and it went out on the 29th of October uh, with Mike uh, doing the whole thing. And uh, Great. So as Ian comes back, well, time. Uh, we're about to... Um, Anything you want to comment before we go on to the topic, Ian? Uh, and no, then I just realised that I, I, I didn't have my phone with me, so I felt naked, and it's just as well I've got it, because uh, it looks like my wife disappeared. <laughs> no, I think she probably found out where they had my pills and went to get them for me, so... Yay! Yes, I feel naked when I don't have my phone here. It's odd. That's technology for you. Anyway, I think we should uh, move on into our topic before this... <laughs> until we just abandon things and say, hey, it's the Star Wars discussion topic. Well, I was just telling no. you about that. If you, if you go to the if you go to our page now, you can update the the show notes and just add it in so that that's there before it goes onto the feeds. If you can manage you to go. do that. Uh, but we want to hear from Andy first. Yes, yes, we do. And uh, let's hear from him. This is how you can get involved with the Quantum Collective. It's easy peasy. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. So, we're picking up from where we left off about two weeks ago with the rest of our list show. Dave? Yeah, that was episode 173. Uh, We got up as far as uh, episode 14, and we had a somewhat similar talk on Battlestar Galactica, which was 14th in this list from INDB. A little difficult for me to read out, because it's got a rather complex, but if you go to Google, those people listening to the recording later... I've already put the link in the room for those of us here. Uh, just put in 25 best cult TV shows from the past 25 years uh, and EW for Entertainment Weekly. It is um, not exactly a transatlantic list. It's pretty much uh, all, if not all, from the United States. And we're up to number 13. I've added a couple of extra um, clips to the, the, the grouping that I had before, but by no means a clip for every one of the 13. And I'm going to do the same as I said last week with just the small number of people on audio. Uh, we're going to play a clip, if I have one, read a little bit of what it says on the uh, the page. And uh, if you want to comment, then you jump in. Otherwise, we move on up the list. And hopefully, in the next uh, hour, hour and 10 minutes, we will get to this uh, list. And the one at number 13 is Veronica Mars. And uh, let's see 
are here, a trailer to Series 1. I'm never getting married. I mean, what's the point? Sooner or later, the people you love let you down. And here's where it ends up. Sleazy men, cocktail waitresses, cheap motels on the wrong side of town. That's where I come in. You're from Mars, right? Sometimes. You got enough to do you like a chili or something? Or something. Veronica Mars? Her dad's a private detective. I heard this was kind of like your office. I hear you can find stuff. I need your help. I don't care what they say about you, Veronica Mars. You rock. Yes, I do. I also take cash. Random lots of switches. I know when they're going to happen before Vice Principal Clemens does. Veronica, will you please open your locker? Wow. This is a little embarrassing. No one cares what you think, Veronica Mars. Not anymore. But underneath that angry young woman's shell, there's a slightly less angry young woman. You're more smell of Veronica Mars? Girl, you should hear what people say about you. Uh, and there you are. And it says here on the page, uh, after her best friend is murdered and her father is removed as county sheriff, Veronica Mars dedicates her life to cracking the toughest mysteries in the affluent town of Neptune. So it's a little bit old to still be at college to me. And the only thing I know about this is that Charisma Carpenter guest starred and she made a lovely appearance around the swimming pool. And that is the limit of my knowledge on this particular series. But that's, I would say, probably the key moment that you have to remember about it anyway. So, Veronica <laughs> Mars fans? Don't all jump in at once. Well, yeah, I mean, Veronica Mars is a great show. This is just flat out great. Should it be on this list? Yes, absolutely. It is cult as well. Um, because, you know, it's another one of these shows that was undoubtedly killed before its time was done. Um, and, and what's great about it is it's probably, is it, I don't know, I have to skim this list again. But I think this is just about, well, except for the comeback, I guess. This is about the only show that we have here where the protagonist is undoubtedly female you know it's a it's a really cool way of putting together the show because it's sort of a it's sort of a film noir that's not in black and white and doesn't involve a man as the protagonist and it's a really cool well number to... number nine has a, a girl lead my oh, so-called really? life oh you're right you're right i'm sorry i, I skipped that and that you know, this is sort of in that same sort of ballpark really or at least certainly skewing to that same sort of demographic but i i i think i would actually disagree with my so-called life being that above this one because this has um more uh, i don't know exactly action adventure to it it has more it has a little bit less introspection and a little bit more action um and it's 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 a Fun, fun show, and and let's not forget if you're wondering about its, you know, like sci-fi credentials, we are talking about something that has gotten Saturn Awards. We're also talking about something that's gotten AFI Television Awards, um, and it's and at the same time getting Teen Choice Awards, and we're also talking about something that got a, a Writers Guild of America nomination at least. So you're you're and and also got awards for. Um, the for Kristen Bell, you know, as the a lot of awards and a lot of nominations for Kristen Bell. So you're talking about a thing that is been awarded in a well-rounded way. It's not just one element. It's the actor. It's the writing. It's the the show itself. Um, so it's a it's a if you don't know anything about Veronica Mars, don't write it off 
because it's totally worth watching. It certainly has a, a large cast here looking at the INDV page. Um, Kinda, kinda, sort of. Um, not wholly, though. Um, I mean, in terms of the actual real, real core regulars, um, it's 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 kind of got a large cast, but um, some of them are just sort of recurring, interesting characters. Um, there's right. there's zero doubt that it is Kristen Bell's show. So there you go. Yeah, now, now it says here uh, Ram from. Is it 2004 to 2007? So I assume that's it now. 64 episodes, is it? Something like that. Right. Yep. And it's, you know, tragically, therefore, one of those shows that is just outside the reach of syndication. But they've tried. I mean, they really have. I believe it's been on, like, some, some cable network, sort, in the same way that you will occasionally find a network trying to do something with Firefly, even though they're, you know, only less than 20 episodes. Um, this one I think is what, three times twenty-three would be, or three times twenty-two would be sixty-four. So th- this is, you know, there's sort of, it's kind of, it's a little bit less than the number of um, total original series Star Trek episodes, kind of. Um, yeah, that was seventy-eight, I think, wasn't it? Something like that. Something like that. Uh, but the the great thing about Veronica Mars, I'm almost positive it's been rerun on like Lifetime. Um, the, the great thing about Veronica Mars is, is because it's got all these interesting bits to it, you could say it's a mystery, and so therefore you, I, you know, I don't know the stars mystery would put it on there or whatever, but you you could see that a channel that was dedicated to sort of mystery programs might be able to sneak this one in to give it a shot. You could also probably slide it more or less into like ABC Family because it's sort of a teen-oriented thing. You could slide it into obviously, you know, shows uh, networks like Oprah's network or Lifetime or whatever, you know, or Hallmark maybe on the basis that it is skewing female, whatever. So there's a good shot, a better shot for this show to find reruns in the future. And I, I think they already have found places for reruns. than you would find for other shows that have only three seasons, but still it's not really enough for you to find it on your, you know, like local broadcast terrestrial affiliate of ABC in the afternoons. I mean, it's not going to be anything like that. Um, but it's widely available on DVD, and you can find it. And there's certainly more content here than there would be with a Firefly. But I would, I, I would say it's, it is a lot. It has some commonality with Firefly in that Firefly is something that is sort of a genre bender, right? I mean, it's you know space western. Um. And this is sort of the same thing. This is, you know, mystery that's film noir, but with a teenage-ish girl in charge. Um, so it's it, it skews across, as it were, party lines. Okay. Anyone else uh, a fan of this show or have caught it? Wants to comment? And Ian, do we need to refer to what that link is? Oh, okay. Radio. Well, we, we'll uh, we'll move along if we may then. Um, and we're going up the list, of course. So we've got uh, coming in at number 12 from 1990 at Twin Peaks. And again, play a short uh, trailer.
Twin Peaks is something of a miracle. It's like nothing else on television. A phenomenon. A tangled tale of sex, violence, power, and junk food. Like nothing on earth. What they're trying to say can only be seen. Diane, it's 1.17 p.m. up here in Twin Peaks. Laura Palmer is dead. The mystery. It's what we call a real three-hanky crime. <laughs> the unexpected. <laughs> and the unexplainable. It's like I'm having the most beautiful dream and the most terrible nightmare all at once. It's a phenomenon that launched a cult following and changed the television landscape forever. I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. Nominated for 18 Emmy Awards and winner of three Golden Globes, including Best TV Series Drama. The things I tell you will not be wrong. Twin Peaks. And uh, I just have to backpedal somewhat. Uh, Ian is, can't come on the audio at the moment, but um, he was reminding me that um, we didn't read out from the, uh, the page, the EU page, as to why uh, this is classed as cult on the list. So uh, let me uh, go... Uh, the link's in the room if you want to just check it out. But it's um, why it's cult. It's not as easy. Uh, it's not easy telling the story of a girl's mission to solve her best friend's murder while also investigating her own rape. But creator Rob Thomas' tough assignment uh, was made easier by putting the tirelessly smart and snarky Veronica Miles on the case. Her wry one-liners injected much-needed lightness into her sometimes grim mysteries. But what makes this series cult fave comes down to potential, or some would say unfulfilled potential. Three reasons weren't enough, especially considering the lack of resolution after the show's abrupt cancellation. Uh, And nothing riles audiences for years to come quite like an unfinished story. Um, um, One of the reasons also why why I put that in there, Dave, was because it appears... Because uh, I, I was looking to see, uh, I was looking up something real quick, and, and it's, it sent me to the EW page, um, and it appears that it's, it's it's now 26, before it was 25. Um, so, uh, and Veronica Mars has been shifted to uh, uh, to number oh, 14 indeed. instead of number 13. So, interesting. I haven't had a chance to figure out why, but uh, yeah, and also it makes it a lot easier for, of course, our, our, uh, the people catching up to this later to read this online before we had a link to the pages, the printed pages that were in the magazine and an IMDB list, which just lists the basic information about the show rather than why it was judged by EW to be at the position it was. So, um, yeah, that you can go to EW now and actually see uh, the, the if you just put in... Well, um, the list is you 20, say 26, not top 25. Yeah. Yeah, so they've 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 updated it. <laughs> yes. Let me put the, a quick the, scroll through while we talk about uh, uh, yeah. Twin Peaks because I've I think I've only watched one episode of that and of that and then uh, I watched one movie of his Blue Velvet and was completely grossed out. Um, so yeah, <laughs> carry on. Okay, so uh, just bearing that in mind then, listening back later and those in the room, that uh, I suppose we'll go, we'll stay with the INDB list, but we are getting extra material from um, the um, Entertainment Weekly. Excuse me. So um, uh, anybody a fan of this one before I actually um, read out a little bit about what it says on here? 
Yes, I am. Thank you, Ken. It's um, David Lynch's surrealism brought to television. And if you loved uh, Blue Velvety, and you'll really love Eraserhead. Um, <laughs> um, actually, on a, on a plus note, Elephant Man is one of the most beautifully made, beautifully crafted movies uh, ever. And it's a very serious historical film. I was actually terrified in the theater because I had seen Eraserhead previously, and I'm going, oh, God, where is he going to go with this? Luckily, he didn't. It's a class act, and it's, interestingly enough, produced by Mel Brooks. But Twin Peaks, it's a murder mystery show uh, on acid. Um, it's the investigation of the death of Laura Palmer by FBI agent uh, Cooper, played by Kyle McLaughlin. And you have dancing midgets, strange visions of the long-haired man, um, mysteries of who did it. A, uh, like Blue Velvet, you have small-town America, all shiny and fun on the outside, dark, corrupt, cynical, and totally gonzo, twisted, bizarre on the inside. And it was not everyone's cup of tea, but it was a riveting show. Uh, nothing like it on TV. There have been certain television shows that have just stood out of being just so different. Max Headroom's one of them, and it became a sensation and then forgotten. Twin Peaks is another one. Those who really enjoyed it um, just grappled it to their hearts, while others said, get me kicking and screaming out of here. Uh, I really liked it. it. They had a spin-off prequel movie called Fire Walk With Me that David Lynch uh, brought out, which answered uh, some mysteries, left a lot unanswered, but I really recommend it. it, it it's, it's something uh, you should check on if you want something very different, very imaginative, and incredibly well-acted TV. Thank you very much indeed. Um, let's uh, read what it says on the... Um, I'll do this one, and then if Ian's back, he can do the next one. Uh, why it's cult, and because it's co-created uh, director David Lynch, uh, those alternate artist sensibilities is pure fringe. The show itself is only fitfully brilliant and untimely unfulfilling. Sorry, and ultimately unfulfilling. But the cult lives, fueled by the nostalgia for the extraordinary pop phenomenon it inspired, for its significance to the medium, Behold the Big Bang of Auteur TV, and for the sensuous strangeness that possess you whenever uh, and never lets go. don't know why Ian and myself do these shows where we have to read. <laughs> uh, from 1990 to 1991. Um, does anybody else want to jump in on this? Uh, later Ian will reveal why he's found out why We've got a slightly different order. We've got 26. But uh, for those listening later, INDB, this is 12. Uh, on uh, EW, it is uh, number 13. Uh, I would jump in to only say, I think this is way overblown. I mean, this was a true flash in the pan. And I I think it 
deserves you know some kudos, but it's basically a footnote in the history of American television. Um, it, it's important in that it shows how you can start a series with a great pilot, but you know ultimately there wasn't that much story here. Um, the story totally ran out, and then they had to switch gears and start telling another story and didn't do that with any kind of grace. And, you know, it dropped like a stone. Um, I I think, again, the the only thing to take away from here, and if you're studying television in America, is just how the conventional wisdom that a show always gets better from the pilot, that the pilot is never that great, um, is upended by looking at Twin Peaks because Twin Peaks is the exact opposite. In fact, Twin Peaks has an analog really with Heroes. You know, Heroes was a fantastic pilot Mm. and then eventually trailed off, but at least it trailed off slower than did Twin Peaks. Um, So I I don't think it deserves to be on the list of cult series. If you were talking, you know, best individual episodes of all time, I think that Twin Peaks would have to be somewhere on there. Um, but it, as a series, uh, it, it shows very bad planning, and it also shows, I think, very bad execution as you get into as you get away from the Laura Palmer plot. Um, then it's just, what the hell are we doing here? You know. So I wouldn't put it on this list at all. Okay. And, yeah, I mean, um, I, I, mean I, I, I remember it coming. I remember it being on TV at the time because everybody was talking about it, kind of like Lost was. You know, everybody just went on and on and on. Oh, you have to see this show. You have to. It's, you know, people who I knew who weren't into science fiction or fantasy and that were going on about Lost, and it reminded me of, of the, all the hubbub around Twin Peaks. Oh, it's this, it's that, and you know, really, how many? You know, you don't really hear that much about it anymore. Frankly, like I said, it didn't have a staying power. It had its 15 minutes it where it was on everybody's had, lips, and it was the water cooler show of the time. Like, like, uh, like Darth said, you know, they, 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 they came out with, you know, they came, you know, started off with a bang and uh, and followed it up with a hiss and then a small fart. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of just disappeared after a while, and you know. There, there was people, of course, that 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 that, that stayed with it, and uh, I'm sure there's there's fan websites for it everywhere. That you know, but it's just it's one of those things that's kind of oh, remember that show way back that you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay, let me move us on to um, again INDB's number twelve, uh, but it will be eleven on the other one, and that is. Um, Firefly and a little short clip. Just a song this time. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand. I don't care, I'm still free. You can take the sky from me. Take me out, choose a black, tell them I ain't coming back. Burn the land and boil the sea. Take the sky from me Take 
going to just butt right in here and take this from Dave. <laughs> Indeed, Dave. I'm going to read right from the, 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 the EW page. Uh, Firefly uh, came out, of course, in, in 2002 um, on Fox. What's it about? A future where superpowers China and the United States have teamed up to colonize the galaxy by terraforming inhospitable planets. A cynical veteran of a failed revolutionary war named Mal Reynolds. And the crew of ramshackle spaceships, Serenity, eke out a living, hauling cargo and evading uh, cannibal reavers, intergalactic mobsters, and agents desperate to recapture River. Uh, a child prodigy whom the Alliance tried to make into a superhuman assassin. Instead, they drove her bonkers. Uh, why is it cult? The sci-fi western mashup, the Chinese curse words, everything that made Joss Whedon's first TV foray uh, beyond the Buffy Buffyverse unique also screamed for smart nerds only. And as it often does, martyrdom has an, only enhanced its legend. Fox cancelled the show after airing 11 of the 14 episodes produced and out of order at that. Uh, secret handshake, you call yourself a brown coat. Uh, this show uh, this year is actually celebrating um, 10 years. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, They're going to be having a uh, 10th anniversary show on the Space Channel. And um, I absolutely love the show. I think it was about... I can't even remember when I saw it. No, it was was long gone um, from the screens when I watched it. Um, And it was basically whenever uh, Rasa Khan was. uh, That's when uh, uh, Wes Hubbard introduced me to the movie. Um, and then I went backwards and watched the uh, the uh, TV episode out of order um, because I didn't know any better. And uh, th- the one thing I can say about this show is that it, it still works on so many levels. And proof of that is um, my wife has now watched uh, all the episodes um, and is a huge Firefly fan. Um, I mean, it already kind of helps that she was a bit of a, a Whedon fan anyway, uh, loving uh, uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. I'm like, then you have to watch this. Um, so, I mean, it, this is a great show, and I think one of the things that really kind of sells it to me is the cast. Um, and, and I've watched a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff and, and them talking about it, and the, the one thing that really kind of strikes me is how in such a short amount of time uh, this group of people who put together the show, became such a close-knit family. Um, There's just a lot of affection for the show from the cast, uh, and that's just kind of great. You know, you wouldn't expect something like that so quickly on a a TV production. You know, you'd think it would take uh, a little bit bit longer. Um, But no, I think it's great. Uh, We... Long, long, long ago, uh, uh, on a different show, did uh, uh, talked got together and talked about Firefly, and it might be time to do it again, especially considering it's the 10th anniversary this year. So uh, maybe right after uh, they have the uh, anniversary show on the Space Channel, uh, look out for the details coming out on that. I will make sure that they're posted on our Facebook page. Uh, that maybe we'll get together and uh, we'll all talk about Firefly again, 10 years on. Um, anyone else? Uh, well, I, I I came to it because I I, uh, I saw two of the actors on Angel. Uh, no, actually uh, on Buffy, wasn't it? Nathan Fillion played a, a really great character, the preacher on Buffy, and uh, the the girl Tories um, was on uh, Angel. I think she came as a goddess on Angel. 
and I, I thought they were brilliant actors. And of course, the um, the the oh, what's he called? The the one that's got a lot of acting brothers, the big tall guy, the muscle man. You're right. You're wrong. He's hey? a Baldwin, but he's not one of those Baldwins. He's a Baldwin, but he's not one of those Baldwins. All oh, right. Oh, right. <laughs> Adam Baldwin. Right. Because he, he was in Angel as well. So I, I was familiar with some of the cast. And then I thought the girl that was in it was Summer Glau. She looked so much like her. She is Summer Glau. Oh, oh, that's right. I know where I'm getting mixed up. It's going that, wrong. Yeah. That's you know what I'm thinking? I'll tell you what I'm thinking of, uh, Darth, so you don't become completely stupid. It was the the girl in Stargate Atlantis. I thought, oh, that's Summer Glau. Because uh, they picked no. somebody who looked like her. Stargate language I don't even understand right now. <laughs> ah, well. Hell Stargate. <laughs> You're just, uh, just so, so mixed up. It, it, yeah, it, you're thinking of Jewel, Jewel Stay. She she was on Stargate and she was on Firefly. She was on both. Lau was on. Done both. But that was Jewel. No, ah. Summer. Right. Because <laughs> I, I, I saw this girl I thought, that's Summer Glau, what's she doing on here? Oh, we don't need a list for entertainment. We just confuse Dave. <laughs> but last time I was on a train with Sheldon, we saw Summer Glau on the train. Right, I got that bit right, and I had a drink got so I could right. go and I got a drink so I can go and talk to her. <laughs> We're losing it, Ian. We're losing it. We're losing the audience. No, you're losing it. <laughs> Sorry, I meant the the Science Channel, not Space Channel. The, the, the special's going to be on the space on the Science Channel. Well, actually, all this is an elaborate segue for the next one we go to, which is called Lost. I did that all that deliberately. Yeah, but so anybody wants lost. to comment? Anybody wants to comment on Firefly? Everything Ian and you, Dave said, and love it. Don't love how Fox mismanaged handling it when it was on and ran it out of order. Should have ran the pilot first and got their audience. Um, all these fans that embraced the show, you know, after it was o- over with would have kept it going. Um, Serenity was a great movie. Looking forward to the special. I wish they would do more Firefly. And like you said, Ian, the cast is incredible. And there's this bond that they have immediately uh, felt and the audience feels it. And no other show feels like it. They, it it's not a fake space western. It, it doesn't feel like any other show. The look of it and Joss Whedon's great dialogue. Um, I came to this because I was a Buffy fan, and he didn't disappoint. It was a, another fantastic show. I love it. Well, okay. you know, I'll chip in and just say that the only reason that it's on this list is because it got canceled at just the right time. If it had. Um, actually been allowed to breathe, which I wish that it had, to make that clear, but if it had been allowed to breathe, there is no guarantee that it would have actually turned out well. I mean, we just have to look at Dollhouse to have an example of same guy in charge trying to do something interesting, 
sure he may have been screwed around by the network or whatever, but it really doesn't appear at all that there's any kind of narrative plan there. So why I say that this got canceled at the right time to become a cult classic is because it got canceled just after it started asking interesting questions. But we don't know what the answers to those questions really were, and I'm not entirely satisfied with Serenity, that is to say the movie, as a conclusion to the series. I don't know if I really think that they totally marry up. I think that Serenity is good on its own, and I think that Firefly is good on its own, but I don't know that Serenity actually makes for that great of a conclusion to Firefly, which is not at all to say, again, that I think that Serenity shouldn't have been made. I do think it's a great film, and you know, any chance to see these actors work together is a great thing. But let's not go you know, into Whedon super worship because I don't think that Whedon is quite as infallible as a lot of the fans like to think that he is. And I, 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 who knows what really would have been in store for this series had it actually gotten to run a natural life. Um, and it's a little bit sad, really, that Firefly came slightly before uh, the the curve of great television on cable uh, because one can imagine if this were actually being pitched in 2009 um, maybe it would have gone on to Showtime maybe you would have had a sort of madman situation where you would have found enough people on a cable network a pay cable network to have kept this thing alive long enough for it to come out on DVD so that the rest of us who don't want to actually subscribe to those channels can enjoy the shows that are there. Um, but I, I'm not I'm not at all in the camp that this would have been the most phenomenal thing ever had it had a natural course. I think the lesson here is and the reason that everybody bemoans the loss of this thing is it just got finished asking cool questions and then it was gone. And I think that's what makes for true cult status. Now, that's why it belongs on this list. That's also why I think it belongs much higher on the list, because it is definitional cult TV, because cult TV does this to you all the time. It asks these questions that don't get answered because the thing gets canceled before you have the time to answer them. And in a way, I could see an argument for saying this is number one because it's it is the poster child for cult television shows, um, and, and just because it actually has engendered a large following that I think is shrinking now that we get further and further away from it. But certainly, you know, in two thousand seven, I forget when is when is Serenity? Is it two thousand five? I don't know exactly. No, Serenity, not Firefly. Oh, so, oh sorry, you're right, right. Okay. I, I'm not sure when that actually is, but it certainly was years afterwards. I mean, we're not talking... 2005. Okay, so you're talking three years after, and people are still upset enough about this thing to get a film greenlit. I mean, that I don't think you can really point to too many things on this list that have that kind of track record, and that's a measure of fundamentally how, you know, that you have... A, a disconnect, a, a mathematical disconnect between the number of episodes and 
the amount of money that's generated by it because it, it, you know, it did make a profit as a film. And so you're talking about, you know, a multimillion dollar property and you can't really call Veronica Mars a, a property that's generated, you know, tens of millions of dollars in the way that Firefly has. Uh, you can't talk about Veronica Mars as something I don't think that is spun out comic books and that spun out, um, you know, stories in other media. But Firefly, man, you know, the disconnect between how, how many episodes is it? 12 episodes, 13, whatever it is. And the amount of money that it's generated is absolute proof that it is a cult thing. And really, I think if you judge by that metric, you know, the investment, the initial investment on the television series versus the profit that comes out of it, I think Firefly is unambiguously number one. But I could be wrong about that because I certainly haven't crunched the numbers. But it it feels like that's a safe thing to sort of say. The the, the uh, I like what you said actually because uh, one of the things when my wife and I finished watching it actually we we watched I think we were watching it on Netflix but then we went and got it on uh, DVD and of course bought um, Serenity on Blu-ray um, and. It was one of the things I talked to Megan about afterwards. It's like it's one of the things we wonder if it's so good because it's all there is. It's like uh, you mm-hmm. know, unfinished symphonies and uh, unfinished works of art, or the only work of art put out by this brilliant painter. But we've only got this one piece of art to look at, and so that's the only way you can judge it. Um, you know, if this had lasted another two seasons, it's the James it Dean of TV shows. Well, or, or perhaps more, you know, using metaphors that we like to use on this podcast, it's the shot of, I mean, and and, it may, and that may be an especially good fit because, you know, shot of for, I would say the first, I don't know, 10 years, uh, well, until the, until the webcast came out, which is, what is that? That's almost 20 years from the time that shot of should have gone on the air to the time that it actually got to be seen. Um, was believed to be this great masterpiece. It must have been. It absolutely couldn't have been anything other than a masterpiece because it's Douglas Adams writing under his name, uh, fully in charge of the writing of this episode. And Tom Baker, at the height of his powers, Lala Ward also, you know, to what extent she has powers, uh, you know, I guess she was there. But, um, you know, firing on all cylinders, kind of. And so, therefore, and what's the little snippets that we got to see, you know, from five doctors? Oh, my God, that looks so exciting. They're punting. Oh, my God, that must be great. Um, <laughs> but then when you actually sit down and you actually look at it, what is it? It's another Douglas Adams craptastic thing where the beginning is great. It gets you all involved. But the ending is really pretty crap. Um, and then I think that you, within fandom, at least within people that I know, you know, Shada is something that nowadays most people say Tempest in a teacup, really. I mean, is anybody here really clamoring still for getting Shada out on DVD? I mean, I know it finally has been announced that it is, but is anybody really clamoring for that? Not really. Um, maybe new fans who don't know any better, but. You know, those of us who've actually experienced the thing, who've you know got suckered into buying the audio and the webcast, where you know it's not that great of a story. And I think that that might be that is certainly a possibility that you have to admit could have happened with Firefly. 
because you've got an example of Dollhouse right after it, which, honest to God, and I know Kobo, if he were here, would probably be protesting me, but seriously, if you go from episode one to the last episode of that thing, it's not that great. It's okay. It's diverting. It's better than some stuff you might be watching on TV, but it's not perfect. It's not absolutely great, and I I, I really do think that with Firefly, as much as I love it, uh, I am not overawed by Joss Whedon. I will not let myself get sucked into that uh, after um, Dollhouse. I just won't. Um, I, I actually like um, him mainly not because I think he's a genius, but because I think he's one hell of a regular guy. Yeah. Who seems to really enjoy what he does and doesn't seem to be um, enamored with himself or his ability. He just seems to take it as a... Um, I had an idea and I... I, I, I did this and you yeah, know, he, he's quite grounded for you he's know, quite grounded. Night, so which, he's quite grounded, which is why I like him. I mean, I'm not thinking that he's a pure genius, um, but I've liked some of his stuff. So. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> I, you stuff. have to you have to admit though that Firefly fans, uh, you know, they are, or at least were back in the day when I had any kind of contact with <laughs> you know, you know, and I think that's another metric is. How many pure Firefly fans do you find these days? Not that many. I mean, but but back in the day, two thousand five, two thousand six, you had people who were always like, "You've got to watch this show. You must watch it. It has to be done. You don't have any choice." Um, and you have to admit that they are unreasonably, or were unreasonably wedded to Whedon. <laughs> Say this in front of a brown coat, they'll tear you apart. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You, cannot, you cannot question the notion that Firefly might not have turned out as great as it started. But let's face it, that's not just you know a possibility because of Whedon's career, which I think shows moments where he's been not so great. And you know, I, I also am speaking from the position of somebody who doesn't believe, hasn't really watched Buffy. So I am missing a significant portion of his, his work. But still, you know, I think you can point to examples where he's not been that great. And then you can point to other examples like, you know, the Avengers, where he did manage to successfully put together an entertaining film. Um, and I, I just, I, I think that this is, again, this is a definitional cult show because it gets stopped before it's time, because you don't know how it's going to turn out, and because, you know, it starts well. Oh, I know the point I was trying to make is is that, it's not just Whedon that has this. Um, you know, we just talked about Twin Peaks. You know, that was 30 episodes. So that's, you know, one more season, I suppose, than Firefly would have gotten. And we know how the, that additional season turned out for them. And, you know, is there that big of a difference in the talent of Joss Whedon versus, um, oh, hell, I just lost the name. Who's Twin Peaks? David Whoever Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah, thank you. There, yeah, David Lynch. You know, I mean, they're very different writers, but they're still, you know, are they of totally mismatched talent levels? I don't think so. No, they're just different. They're just Peaks, different. Peaks should Peaks should have been canceled or left the air after the Laura Palmer storyline. Right. It would have been yeah. more well remembered. It wouldn't have yeah. just meandered. It should have been a miniseries, not necessarily a series. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Um, but you know. We see, we're going to talk about Lost here in a second. Lost is the same way. Heroes is the same way. You could certainly say that Series 6 of Doctor Who is the same way. Series 5 of Doctor Who probably the same way. You know, a lot of things on television start out really strong to get you 
hooked in. That's the whole deal. They're trying to get you to sit in front of the television and watch it so they get ratings so that they can stay on the air. That doesn't necessarily, in fact, it rarely translates into successful finishes. And the thing about Firefly is we just don't know how it would have finished. But if it had finished like uh, Serenity tells us it finished, I don't think that people would be that happy with that ending because that Serenity was good, but in isolation, not really within the context of the series at all, you know, because it had to anticipate that you had never seen Firefly. Um, so anyway, it's just, it, it, it's a very interesting show to talk about. I'm sure it will be talked about for a very long time, but a, a part of the factor that I think that true rabid brown, count, brown coats don't put in here is... Uh, you know, the degree to which it was canceled before any answers came forward. I mean, seriously, before anything of any real significance started to unravel in the plot. So, you know, there we go. Yep. Um, and just to uh, to put in, uh, you know, like I said before, uh, the uh, special, uh, Firefly 10th anniversary special, uh, which will screen on the Science Channel, I'm just going to part of the Discovery Network. Uh, it'll screen on November 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern um, after a full um, um, Firefly all-day marathon. Um, so, uh, yeah, be looking out for that. It's uh, the, the, the title of it is uh, Firefly Brown Coats Unite. Uh, so, yes, and um, there's been all sorts of you know, people talking about, well, if, it, if this does well for the Science Channel, could that mean more episodes? Who knows? That, uh, part of me, part of me says, "Oh, that would be really cool to see more." But then again, what it's worth. <laughs> One of the things that they've been talking about, uh, at least in rumors, is an animated series. Um, that way, they wouldn't have to worry about the actors aging, and then explaining that uh, they can pick up right where they left off at the end of the series, uh, kind of like the Clone Wars. Um, so, right. And just before we move on to Firefly, I, I was totally mixed up. Uh, I wasn't just lost. Um, the, 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 the Star Trek that I meant was uh, not it was Star Trek Universe. And the lady, Star-Gate. thank you. It is time to move on to Lost. Stargate Universe. He is. Well, somebody pronounce that woman's name for me then. Elise, what is it? Levinsky, is it? Is the girl that I thought looked like Summer Glau in Firefly, but she's in Stargate Universe. I think it's oh. Levesque. Wow. You, had, you had me lost, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about segue. Let's play the clip for that. It started with a buzz. Turned into a roar. <laughs> and became a phenomenon called Lost. It's normal. And I'm going to stop it there because it's a rather long clip. Uh, I don't know what they need. I'll read it for you. That's fine. All right, uh, coming in at uh, number... uh, <laughs> like we're between two lists. 
Uh, let's see, what is it on that one? It's number it's 12. It's 10 right? on Lost. 10, 10, 10 uh, on. 11 on EU. <laughs> EW. EW, yeah. Yes, okay. Coming in at 10, 11. Oh. Uh, it's Lost. Uh, what's it about? An airplane filled with flawed souls crashes on a mysterious island that may or may not be the spiritual heart of the world. Uh, fixer addict Jack, uh, uh, meaning seeker Locke, uh, <laughs> father killing Kate, uh, con man Sawyer, and many more form a fragile community as they tangle with time travel, the loony legacy. I'm just thinking, really, this made a show? <laughs> the loony legacy of utopian mad scientists and assorted uh, morally ambiguous others, most notably great man wannabe Ben Linus. Uh, why is it cult? At first, it wasn't. Lost was initially celebrated as a moving, character-driven drama with a broad humanistic worldview that also presented itself uh, as dramatic cryptography that demanded to be solved. The appeal narrowed as seasons progressed and the mythology became more complex, culminating in a still-debated finale that was deeply meaningful to some and dissatisfying to poppycock to others. So yes, I still don't understand it. <laughs> I could talk. I could talk poppycock. Well, you did just prior to this. Anyway, <laughs> I've never seen it, so it's open to the floor. Yeah, the thing I know is one of the hobbits was in it. That's the only thing I know. <laughs> right. It, it, it doesn't count uh, on this list. I'll tell you why it doesn't count. First of all, it's on a major network, and not not just. I don't really count Fox as necessarily a major network. Um, you know, uh, over the given that this list includes um, series that predate the existence of the Fox network. I mean, I'm talking this is ABC, CBS, NBC. Like those are the major networks, right? Um, historically, and this is on ABC. So, right off, no way is it cult. Well, almost no way that it's called. If it had been canceled on ABC in like three seasons, maybe you'd have an argument that it's called. But it's reached the syndication level. What is it? Five seasons, six seasons, whatever. Full seasons. I mean, we're talking, you know, 22 episodes by and large. I mean, I think one of the seasons is not that long, but it's basically normal sized seasons for America. It therefore is just not cult. I mean, by definition, cult has got to be that. You get canceled before you get to finish telling your story. This thing was not canceled before it finished telling its story. In fact, it got to do exactly, apparently, what it wanted to do. Um, and you know, it's just—it's just not. It's, it, as the as that article says, it started out to be mainstream. So you know, if that's the way it started out, the fact that it ended in a smaller audience, it's hardly unusual. That's what happens to every single television series. They always start with big numbers, and they always end with relatively low numbers, except for maybe the actual finale. Um, there are very few examples of shows that start um, small and then actually end big. You will, you know, you'll see that the normal graphic is you start out small-ish, you get a little bit bigger in, you know, seasons three to five, and then you trail off in seasons six to whatever happens to be your end point. Um, and this is nothing like that. So I, I don't see this as cult, except that it has generated, you know, 
a sort of a fan base, but I think that the ending pissed off that fan base. And honestly, do you hear about any kind of lost stuff anymore? I mean, it's not the sort of thing that seems to have any kind of enduring legacy, perhaps because the ending was such crap and the ending betrayed any sense of, uh, you know, pulling together of plots. Um, so there's nothing, I don't think that a whole lot of people are really thinking about this show anymore. Um, it's, it's a thing that is kind of Twin Peaksy in that, you know, there was a period of time where it was really important and where people would totally watch it. But now that it's ended, I don't think that most people are satisfied with the way it ended. And so they, I think that Lost is a show that ultimately people are going to look back on and say, man, did we waste our time. Right. Well, I'll just, just say that anybody who checks out Zaban.com, uh, there's a, a group of guys, well, a pair of guys called uh, Wine and Space, who are just doing, seem to be doing a series of uh, Lost commentaries at the moment. So if you are interested in Lost, uh, Zabam.com is the place to go and check them out for that. That's true, but you can also look at TalkShoe.com and see at one point there were a ton of lost podcasts. Oh, there were indeed, on, yeah. And and now there's just nothing. And, yeah. you know, the measure of a cult show, as we've just talked about with Firefly, is cancellation doesn't matter to fans. Cancellation makes them angrier, you know? Um, and that's just not happening, I don't think, with Lost. Moving on, perhaps. Yeah. Anyone else want to uh, discuss Lost? All right, next. All right, my so-called life. Very quickly, this is from 1994. The much-loved television series, My So-Called Life, is finally on DVD. People always say how you should be yourself. Like, yourself is this definite thing, like a toaster or something. Starring Claire Danes, my so-called life finally receives the deluxe treatment it deserves. Love is when you look into someone's eyes and suddenly you go all the way inside. So, Ricky, Angel's in love with Jordan Catalano. We have to help her. This doesn't seem like a Friday. It's Thursday. Oh. And, of course, a lot of the trailers I've got are from uh, DVD releases because, of course, they, they aired so long ago. So um, let me oh, just let read me... what it says from... Go on. Okay. You go on. Yeah, I was, was going to read it, but it's fine. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I'm off my game yeah. today. I'm making yeah. more than two mistakes. Okay, my so-called life uh, from 1994 to 1995 on ABC. What's it about? High school sophomore Angela Chase, by Claire Danes, uh, makes out in the boiler room with her pencil-chewing crush, Jordan, uh, rescues her best friend, uh, Rayanne, uh, from an ecstasy overdose, and offers scrawled across your Trevor Keeper wisdom-like school's a battlefield for your heart. Meanwhile, teenage girls across America, America sigh, Angela Chase, c'est moi. Why is it cult? Yes, it introduced the world of uh, world to the tender-hearted brilliance of Claire Danes. But more important, it was the first teen drama that didn't feel like an after-school special. No one ever learned a very important lesson or uttered the phrase, I love you, Dad. Angela acted like a real 15-year-old girl with all the crying jags and Buffalo Tom concerts that, um, that implies. What's even more impressive is that uh, anyone who watched the show back in the 90s, uh, when angst and uh, manic panic felt totally of the moment, can now enjoy it on a very different level. Suddenly, Angela's parents are relatable. Damn it, we're old! <laughs> 
So, yeah, I've never seen it, but feel free. Anyone who has. Yeah, please jump in because we'll need to be a little bit quicker on our feet, I think. Well, I mean, I think this is the show that, that really turned me on to watching um, what might be called sort of more adolescent TV or whatever, TV that was not specifically within, but not too far without my own age range. And um, I, it, it was fabulous. I mean, it, it absolutely deserves to be on this list. It meets every definition of cult that I would say. I mean, you know, you're talking about a series that was pulled after the first season, so therefore it it took a long time for the, even to justify getting on DVD. Um, it was a show that I had to, you know, flip back and forth watching. Um, I, I watched it when there was a rerun on Mad About You, because that's basically when it was on. And, yeah, which I love Mad About You. But the thing that I noticed in my own reaction to the show is I didn't really think I was going, you know, down to a different age range. I just felt like I was watching the same quality of writing, the same quality of stuff, um, with actually a little bit more serious tone than Mad About You employed. Um, and yet, it, it it really felt like a, a serious sort of thing. You know, that it felt like something that was a good um, a good attempt to counter the programming on Mad About You, you know, because it really didn't quite go to the same demographic, but yet it wasn't like they were, what am I trying to say? It just didn't feel like a, a teen drama. It felt like just a regular drama. Um, so I liked it. Um, I completely understand why you would be passionate about this. It's We're now too far away from it, really, for there to be... Um, you know, fan club still around or whatever. But I know that, you know, in late Clinton era, you definitely had people who were still saying, where is the show? Why did it get canceled? Can we find a way to get it back online? So it, it had the same sort of thing that you find around other cult shows canceled too soon. A loyal following that, uh, you know, people were trying to reverse the decision to cancel it. Um, and I think it's great that this list includes it because there's nothing about it that be remotely said to be, you know, science fiction or fantasy or anything like that, but it, it is the definition of a cult show that has to do with sort of normal stuff, which And let's not forget, it probably did the career of Claire Danes. I mean, it certainly started her off in a way that she then got a lot of uh, additional roles, I think, after it because she was so fabulous in My So-Called Life. Okay. Anyone else? Do we need to read anything more from that or not? What's that? Do we, do we need to read anything more from it? Or No, I think we can move on unless somebody has anything uh, pressing they want to add. All right. Moving forward. Um, we're, we're, we're not just trying to skim over these folks, but uh, we did have a very long discussion at the beginning of the show, which have left us as even more of a time crunch. So it's not that we don't care. It's just we're trying to finish off the list. <laughs> before I get the divorce from my wife. <laughs> well, I'm going to click the next one so we can move not quickly onto it, because if people want to talk, but it's uh, uh, number eight on the INDB. And number but, nine uh, on uh, the new list. Yeah. Right, Neil. And uh, that is the comeback. Uh, Valerie Cherish, a one-time sitcom star, tries to resuscitate 
resuscitate her career, a bit like I'm trying to do, uh, with a camera crew documenting her progress. Oh, Lisa Kudrow. Didn't notice yeah, her. Yeah, I'll read a bit from, from EW. Uh, on her superb one-season wonder, Lucy Kudrow played Valerie uh, Church, as David said, a former sitcom star trying to make a comeback, though, uh, on a new show, Room and Board, uh, while being trailed by a camera by a crew shooting a reality show about her, uh, also called The Comeback. Uh, Kudrow and her co-creator, Michael Patrick King, uh, captured the predatory nature of reality TV, the desperation of middle-aged female stardom, and the pampered but threatening Hollywood bubble life. Why is it a cult? Uh, both painfully uncomfortable and deadpan hilarious, the comeback was spot on in its inside showbiz look at the making of a sitcom, all featuring one of the decade's uh, biggest sitcom stars, no less. Uh, but it was so inside that it was too inaccessible. Uh, and uh, to an audience, uh, to a mass audience, or even an audience that might have returned for a second season on HBO. And now that sounds a, a little bit like what they did with Joy out of uh, Friends, because he didn't he, he had two shows, didn't he? Have one again where he was playing basically himself, and what about the one in the UK where he's doing it with the, the is it extras, where he's uh... basically playing himself. Uh, yeah, he's got a new newish show. I don't know how well that's doing, but uh, yeah, he did have one after Friends that was it was the same character, Joey Tribbiani, being an actor, and yeah, it didn't last. It was it was sometimes funny, but uh, unfortunately, they they decided to make a uh, a follow a, a spin-off show from probably the most shallow character in the entire cast of Friends, which doesn't really make for exciting TV or interesting TV. Has anyone seen the comeback? Yeah, I have, and I, I would basically agree with the reasons that um, were stated about why it uh, tanked. It, it, I really like it, but I mean, obviously, I'm a guy who really likes the behind-the-scenes stuff about how television is made. I can completely understand why it didn't make a lot of money. I mean, you can see this in like Robert Allen's works, you know, he, what was that? I can't remember now the movie that he made where he's going behind the scenes about how to make films. But any time that you have a, a film that is about filmmaking or a television series that is about making television, it is hard for that to penetrate the vast American audience. I mean, all we have to do is look at... Didn't Steinfeld do that? No. I mean, there's a little bit of it in there, but Seinfeld is actually, it's a show about nothing. So therefore, a lot of the episodes really about Jerry's career. They're just about Jerry at his apartment and friends who happen to come into the apartment. Oh, right. Um, but I, I will agree. There is a portion, you know, there are episodes where, you know, he's trying to make the show within the show. Where you kind of see, you know, the fictional deal coming together to make Seinfeld. It's kind of weird and tricky. But basically, Fraser? No, Fraser? No. No, not really. That's a show within a show, whereas I am listening. Well, he was just, he, he's, he's, still, he's still the same character. He's still a psychiatrist, but he's doing a radio show. Which right. Is very, not really bad. In, in now, his other show, Curb radio. Your Enthusiasm, um, goes into behind making of a show and even bringing Seinfeld back. It, the HBO I will that to it, but 
again, that show is not entirely about that. It is it is really about the life of um, oh God, lost his name. Was Larry the, David. Uh, yeah, it's about the life of Larry David and his wife and things that he gets in. Yes, he's incidentally a, a television producer, but it's still very little of it has to do with actually being on the scenes, actually doing the deal. Um, the comeback is much more in face about producing the show. And in that way, it is like um, uh, 30 Rock. Um, but as we've seen, 30 Rock, you know, it's a fabulous show, but it always has struggled in the ratings, always, always, always. And basically, I think that the reason that it keeps uh, you know, being on there is that it gets lots of Emmys, it gets lots of notice for NBC, and it's relatively cheap to produce, so they're not losing that much money on it. Um, I think the comeback must simply have not found the right economic model because probably Lisa Kudrow was well overpaid or too highly paid. Let's not say overpaid. That makes it sound like she's not got talent, but perhaps overpaid, um, perhaps taking money when she should have taken back in money or, or something happened to make the economic model not work. And, of course, this is HBO, too, and HBO can afford to be a little bit more selective, and they can say, we're not going to show this anymore, and not that many people are going to be up in arms. I mean, it's not like, you know, if HBO cancels something or if stars cancel something, who cares? You know, nobody's going to be writing to them in any great numbers and saying, please bring back, you know, Series 5 of Torchwood. They're just going to say, you know, we will not subscribe to stars or whatever they're going to say, or they're just going to say, no, we'll go on to something else or whatever. Um, but the comeback was really good, but I can totally see why it failed. It, 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 I think it's cult only to, it may be the most cult thing on here because you're talking about a very small audience that would have been interested in it in the first place. And then even they were split. I can remember at the time that I watched this thing, thinking, you know, the only place in America that's going to love this show is New York because, you know, they're media savvy. They're going to kind of, you know, they're going to have enough people there that are going to love it. But you know what? The New York Times said, you know, that it was sort of mediocre and it wasn't as good as Entourage, I think. And that's true. It's not as good as Entourage. Um, so if you can't even crack New York City with a show about making television, you got some problems, and therefore the people who are going to like this show, and there were people who really did like it, are really a subset of a subset. So yes, it's cult, absolutely, um, but that doesn't mean it's the best cult show. Does it deserve to be this high on the list? No. Um, does it deserve to be in the top hundred? Yeah, sure. Maybe even a top fifty, uh, but number eight. I think is well and truly too high, and I've got a high tolerance for this particular subject matter. Right. Dave, All right? Anyone else? Yeah. Uh, did yeah, have you ever seen that behind-the-scenes show of Ricky Gervais Extras, which is that's really what I, that's funny? That's one I mentioned a minute ago. Oh, okay, Extras. Okay. Because that's the the one where Joe is in it, and uh, yeah, so so yeah, I, I've not seen a lot of them, but I've seen a couple. And of course, that's, Patrick Stewart was one oh, of those. Oh, that was so funny, so a, good. That's another segue to where we're going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Sorry, done. I just remember his uh, appearance on Extras. If you have not seen that, it's the funniest dang thing. I'm not going to tell you what it's. 
in it, but I, I recommend you just leave, at the very least seek out that episode because it's the funniest thing I think I've ever seen Patrick Stewart do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which reminds me, the um, the uh, the Star Trek uh, the Blu-rays uh, on YouTube they showed a little clip of one of the extras, I think. And it, oh, I don't know what I can say. But the point is, uh, I won't say anything about what happened. But it showed a, a, a gathering of the the cast. And Patrick Stewart was the only one that didn't look as though he'd aged. <laughs> all, all the others look, you know, Michael Dawn. All the others, they all look as though they'd aged, but he didn't. Yeah. Uh, the the series you're thinking of, uh, Dave, uh, is not extras. It's called episodes. I saw that clip, Dave, and I really thought Gates McFadden didn't look like she aged much. Well, she looks as though she's had a... What's that race that keeps stretching the skin on the heads? She looks as though she's had one of those where they staple it, you know. Yes, but the the, the show you're looking for is this episode with uh, Matt LeBlanc, which... uh, well, all I can say is, um, uh, yeah. All I can say yeah. is we we are we are missing that Tim's not coming on our shows live, uh, but I've got a feeling he'd have had a field day after my performance today. Yep. But um, I think I'd better go on to the next one, shall I? <laughs> Probably a, a good idea. <laughs> Number seven on IMDb is Star Trek: The Next Generation, and of course that is coming in. Uh, now at uh, eight, let me play a little bit, but it's just the opening theme and I might cut this short. Oh, get on with it. Get going. Space. That's what I said about the the whole way through. (laughs) These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. All right, then. <laughs> I'll do. Okay. All right, let me read this out. Uh, as, as they say, it's been coming in at uh, eight and whatever. Uh, eight and seven, yes. Uh, Gene Roddenberry's second trick show, set in a century after the original series, Chronicle of the Voices. I think you know what it's about. You've seen what it is. Yeah. Eh. Um, <laughs> I suppose, I mean, the, the big discussion here is, I guess, um, Aid, because I know, I know, I know Darius Mindarik, as we already heard a bit of it uh, last time we talked about this list. Um, doesn't deserve to be on this list at all. Um, doesn't deserve to be this high on the list. Um, I, I found it a very entertaining show and still do. I'm in the middle of a rewatch right now. And um, while there are some episodes that are just pure, you know, um, sci-fi junk TV, there are some shows, some episodes that um, I guess only now watching them, I really kind of get at what some of them are getting at. Uh, this one. And I've totally forgotten the name about of it. Um, it was on. I watched it a couple of weeks ago, um, where Riker falls for uh, an androgynous uh, uh, person, um, oh, right. and yeah. and just how that was dealt with. And I was like, wow, that that that's that's fantastic. Uh, I 
I loved what they did with that episode. Um, did some reading, whether it's true or not, that uh, um, they decided to go with a, a, a more feminine-looking uh, androgynous person for uh, Riker to fall for, and uh, actually... Um, uh, the outcast. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, Jonathan Brakes actually um, argued against it. He said it should have been somebody more masculine-looking, and uh, he thinks they kind of, you know, back down when they should have just kind of made it for long. It's, uh, it's one of those things that I've always liked Star Trek for is its ability to use um, alien races as a way of kind of approaching subjects that are out there without some people really realizing it at the time. I didn't realize it was just like it was just a TV show and it was a, an alien race, and you know, you sit there and you watch it. And, um, so later on, you kind of realize. You know what they were getting at, and the fact that you know they they had the the balls to do it. I think it was great that they did it. But, you know, but anyway, that's enough of that. I I like it. My son likes the especially the opening. He comes running to to, to, to watch it, and he's quite glad that it's on TV. He'd rather be watching Curious George, but then again, he's too. So, anyone else? So go on, Jeff. This it must be time for you to come in on. And yeah, I know you there you, go. you went for the. Uh, <laughs> Oh, here, here's the thing. Would you rather go before Darth or after Darth? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you want to start strong or finish strong? Never mind that. Just bowl we go. <laughs> oh Make it so. Well, I, I don't know if this is really cult or not. I mean, this was a very popular show. It, uh, it had seven seasons on the air. Um, into what? War movies, it did very, very, very well. And I just don't know if it fits the the definition of cult or not. Um, it was the first real syndicated show that uh, that did very well. I mean, it wasn't on a a broadcast um, network television. Uh, and I, mean, I I love this series. It was. Fabulous. It had great characters, great stories. Yes, there was you know some stories that were not so great, particularly the first couple seasons, and it trailed off toward the end. But uh, but every week, you know, I was just enthralled with it. I was just waiting for the day for it to air again. And at the end of the story, I was looking for the the preview for the next week. Uh, it was just something I didn't miss. And um, when it went off the air, I was uh, had a hole in my life. Uh, what am I going to do on Monday nights? It's not on anymore. Um, it's something that the other series of Star Trek since has not entirely filled. But uh, I, I do watch it occasionally on BBC America. Uh, it's that good to keep watching it, even for the not-so-great stories. And uh, I, I, I do miss having new new episodes. I know we're going to do a, a uh, cultum, is it next week, on a possible, you know, uh, fan-based Dream, recast? Dreamcast. Dreamcast. Dream, dream and uh, I, I don't know how well I'm going to do with that, because I just can't imagine anybody taking on these roles and doing as well. Uh, it's just a show that I just dearly love. And um, 
Yeah, I don't know if it really is a cult show or not. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. While we wait for anybody else to come in, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. They've been re-airing it here on TV uh, on a couple of channels. On one channel, I've been catching up with Star Trek Voyager on another channel with Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, and uh, the, I, I, I liked it. Um, mostly, it was good. Um, it, it, this, the breadth of it, I mean, it almost needs a... Uh, you know, a, a whole couple of episodes on its own. As what as you can find, the way it's taking is to slowly progress up this list. The higher up the list we go, the more likely it is that we that we need to to donate more time than than just one of 25 shows. So um, let me step aside and just see if anyone else in the room wants to comment. Well, I think it would take just point uh, that it's really not cult. It doesn't deserve to be on the list. I mean, you can't call a show that was regularly, week in and week out, getting 20 million viewers a cult show. That's just not a cult. In nobody's definition can that possibly be cult. Um, you also have a problem, I think, in saying that a, season, uh, or that a show that got seven more or less full series, you know, accepted the fact that Series 2 was hit by a little bit of a restrict that, you know, shortened it and gave us the totally crappy episode Chase Gray. Um, you can't call a show with that many episodes anyone that had, let's well, not forget, four films afterwards. Um, anything other than mainstream. I, I suppose um, if Kinder was here, just let me speak up for Kinder. Kinder would might say, well, it started 25 years ago, so... It might be cult to younger generations in terms of something the dads used to watch, sort of thing. You say that? I don't know that he would, but okay. Well, one um, of the things that Kinder said when he was with us last time we were doing this was to him, it, 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 it had to be at least 25 whole years old to be even considered as a, a, a cult. And yes, uh, Jeff's just putting yeah. your audio just break up a little bit there now. Oh, it isn't. Okay. Uh, I don't, but I don't think that he was saying that because something is 25 years old. Oh, no. Therefore no, it, no, that enough. was just one of the elements of it being cult, yeah. Mm. All right. But even so, you know, you still have elements of that franchise, um, the films, which are nowhere near 25 years old. That's true. This is of the 21st century, isn't it? So... I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the the thing to me is, I just, fundamentally, I don't see how you can call it a cult. And if you are going to call Star Trek a cult, I don't think you can call any of them. I mean, maybe you could call, you can call Enterprise a cult, I think. Because it never achieved um, great ratings. It was definitely canceled. You you can also call the original series cult. I mean, certainly, you know, for, um, well, you can call it cult, but you'd have to be speaking in 19... 19- 77 for it to be cult. You really can't call it cult after, um, you know, even after the, the motion picture. Because the motion picture was wildly successful in terms of the money that it brought in. I mean, hugely. Especially if you do it out in constant dollars. I mean, it's ridiculous. It still is. No, it's not. The, I take that back. 2009, I guess, did finally eclipse it in terms of constant dollars. But for the longest time, even even 1979's The Motion Picture was one of the most successful 
films of all time for a while. Um, so, you know, it, it was a cult. The original series was a cult, certainly, certainly, and indeed is the thing that probably defined what a cult was uh, to most people um, yeah. during the 1970s. Uh, but you can't call it that now. I mean, how many pop cultural references are made to it? I mean, everybody makes references to Star Trek. You, you can't go – even the president of the United States is doing the, the um, you know, Spock salute right there in the Oval Office, uh, and there are pictures of it happening. So it's not really cult in that sense. Uh, certainly not Next Generation. Next Generation defined a business model that had never been seen before. I mean, you're talking about a scripted television show that was doing better than things like – um, you know what is now the traditional hour uh, hour power in syndicated television. That is to say, the the Wheel of Fortune Jeopardy hour. You know, which is the rock solid foundation to syndicated TV. Star Trek: Next Generation, when it was on, was doing better than that. When Vanna White actually looked good. You know, I mean, seriously, Next Generation, not cult. Even if you were to say that through some odd definition of what cult is, that Star Trek counts as cults, then I would have to say this isn't the series to go to. You'd have to go to Deep Space Nine. Or if you're really looking for a loser series, you'd have to go to Voyager. Uh-huh. Um, but if you're looking for a, a series that has definitely got rabid fans and uh, you know, people who fight to the end for it. It's not going to be an extra. It's definitely going to be Deep Space Nine. But Deep Space Nine, you know, isn't even really um, you know, because it, it, it didn't do as well as Next Gen, but it still did really well ratings. I mean, you're still talking about a show that, that got a lot of that accolades. And, and the other thing that makes this not cult to me is, you know, it got an Emmy nomination for Best Next Gen did in, I think, the last series, which makes no sense because Series 7 is pretty weak compared to, say, 5 or 4 or whatever. Um, but nevertheless, a show that gets an actual nomination for um, S-Series in its seventh and final year <laughs> is not cult in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Uh, unless anybody wants to, to make a, a, another reference to that one, I think we'll move on the list. Anybody want to come back quickly? Very briefly. Um, yeah. There was a really wonderful time when the show was first announced, and the old-time fan of the classic series it was wondering, what are they going to do with this thing? And then to see it being done and brought to life and the joy of having a Klingon as part of a crew, and what they did was so much fun and from the opening credits on the show I mean not always perfect of course but what a joy what they brought and it was to have that show back to have Star Trek on the air again and definitely not a cult series original of course you know but next generation the popularity is too big and definitely not a cult but what a great show Okay, let, let let me move us on, if I may. Uh, so we're on number six now from the INDB list, seven on the Dave, EW1. Before we move on, I'm sorry, Dave, I, I've just thought of a point, actually. Um, okay. Obviously, we're mostly from an American standpoint. 
point. I would gather that in Britain there is an argument to be made that it's a cult show, and I certainly think in Australia there is definitely a case for it as well. I mean, this is not a show. It didn't come on BBC One, right? No, uh, uh, it was. Um, yeah, no, uh, but, um, not not in the original run. No, I think it might have aired on BBC Two at a later date. But yeah, no, it was. Um, yeah. I think, I think there is an argument Scarlet, that Alice wasn't it? Are in the yeah yeah I think so it's um, yeah, or something like that but I think that there is an argument that's in the speaking world yeah and that's still you know I mean and this is that would have been no there wasn't Sky in you might have it years later as far as I don't know I don't think you got it in maybe 1987 because it's not like Battlestar Galactica where there was a British co-partnership anyway I mean I think that you're Certainly, New Zealand. Similarly, we we actually we got it um, a little later on in the piece, and then it kind of came and went from our screens intermittently um, yes. to the point that we basically had people in the U.S. shipping videotapes to us, and we right. would get together once a week um, at a at a uh, a person's house and sit there and basically have a whole day of watching um, TNG episodes, and then of yeah. course the same thing happened with Deep Space Nine and and, and Voyager as they. You know, as they came out, we were just, you know, they do so many episodes of this and that, and so we get trying to keep caught up. So, in a way, I guess you could say there was a cult following because we were just, you know, even if it was on TV, it was the the news we were finding out about the show was like, you know, three years in the future for us. You know, you right. find you read things in magazines, and it's like, well, oh, that's spoilers. <laughs> You think you had a problem with what was on last night? <laughs> we were getting yeah. stuff, you know, <laughs> from the future. Yeah, I think it very much in the rest of the world. I think it's very much the inverse of the Doctor Who thing for us, mm-hmm. you know, or the, the PBS Doctor Who experience. That's not really true anymore, but you know, back in the day when it was on, you know, I'm sure getting Encounter at Four Point, Encounter at Far Point. That's 1987. Getting that in Britain or getting that in Australia was probably as difficult as getting, well, what would be time in the Ronnie, uh, would have been to Americans at the time. But, but you know, happily over there, I think the Americans probably got a good deal out of that one. Anyway. It's saying the Moving BBC on. here, this uh, memoryalpha.org. Um, I haven't got time to read it at all, I don't think, there. But um, yeah, I think there was a time when it eventually got shut on BBC because I there are BBC webpages on Jen, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't you know two or three that was showing probably two that was showing next gen eventually, but I don't think it was anything close. Uh, to the the, the corporation had the rights to show Star Trek the original series, Star Trek the animated series, Star Trek the Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Star Trek Voyager. Oh, really? Yeah, but they, they also have but that doesn't that doesn't mean one right that that just means they could they had the rights they could have put it on two or three yes uh, so what but what I meant is not on a not on a subscription channel sure not on a subscription channel. well but I mean it's I'm mean, not right in thinking that three is not terrestrial is it? anyway uh, no whatever. it was digital it was it right. It, it, it wasn't originally it, no. It wasn't on analog TV. You had to have digital to have that. Yeah. So I don't, okay. Was, was I, I think that, some things. 
This is one of the cases where we may have to ask people to sort of do a little bit of research themselves right. after listening. Okay, right, uh, let's move. I, I must press on. Yeah, on. Number six then, uh, I haven't got a clip for this one. It's always sunny in Philadelphia in 2005. Four young friends with big egos and slightly arrogant attitudes are the proprietors of an Irish bar in Philadelphia. Since it mentions Irish bar, I better ask Ian to just mention if there's anything on the uh, EW page about it. That uh, yeah, does Irish bar make it? it. Uh, I haven't seen the show, but uh... what what does an Irish bar <laughs> make it cold? <laughs> I'm not going to do it in the next one if that's what you're getting at. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, when they're not running Betty's Pub uh, Dive Bar itself for the Mafia Five, disorderly half, what's known as the gang, is my crack enter. I'm going well for a composer rock opera about a pedophile troll and kill a guy with a chainsaw. Why it's cult? See what's it about. <laughs> Plus, it's a great underdog story. Uh, made for less than a third of a typical network sitcoms budget and created by uh, Rob McElhenney, who cast his real-life friends, Glenn Houghton and Charlie Day, and now wife, uh, Caitlin Olsen, and continued to wait tables throughout the first season. The show served as a financial model for other cult favorites like Louie and The League. Uh, if it sounds too dark for you, consider that there's an episode about making mittens for kittens. And it's adorable. <laughs> Alrighty then. Anyone want to comment? Because we will... Move forward. Just quickly, that it doesn't count as cult to my mind because, you know, you're talking about a series that, as far as I know, is still on the air. Or if it got canceled, it just got canceled this year. So, you know, you're talking about eight years. Um, would that be eight years? Two, five? Something like that. Seven or eight years. Yes, uh, it's got season nine seasons. Okay. Well, I mean... <laughs> Not a call. episodes. I well, I think that might be the the thing that um, whoever EW is hanging their hat on because that is an unusually low number of episodes for something in America that has eight or nine series behind it. Um, but what it really amounts to is, from your this is like saying, um, "Are you being served?" is a cult classic because. It has, you know, how many? Ten seasons? Not even a hundred episodes. Mm. Um, I, I think what's going on here is probably just looking. At, I mean, I don't have an episode list in front of me, but I think what's going on is that you have some seasons that are as short as British seasons, and so therefore, to American eye, that probably looks like something that, you know, it's a little bit culty, kind of. But that a British person looking at this would in any way say this is a cult show because they would say, oh my God, this is a big success. It's been on for eight years. You know? um, I, I think we're really at the margins of what makes a cult series um, this one. And it's it's reasonably good. The greatest thing in the world deserves to be six ridiculous. That is totally out of line. Uh, I feel I'm 25 on this list, 26 or whatever. It probably is not in the top 25 of all time. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But it's funny, in parts. Looks like basically the average is about 13 episodes, but some are smaller seasons, you know, seven episodes oh, okay. or so. Yeah. But, yeah. 
Um, right. and, and by the looks of things, it's still going because IMDb listed as 2005 to. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, so, no, not so much. I think we can probably say that about our next one. I mean, yeah, wire. moves along here. All righty. Um, I'm picking it. You don't have a clip then. <laughs> no, uh, X-Files is the next one. Clip. Oh, the next clip you have. I'm like, what? That's not what I've got in front of me. All right, coming in at number um, five, six, depending on which list you're looking at, is The Wire. Uh, screen from 2002 to 2008 at HBO. Uh, the show followed the inner workings of Baltimore uh, with a different setting for each of its five seasons. The inner city drug trade, the seaport uh, city hall, uh, the school system, and the journalism world of the Baltimore Sun, uh, from which creator, executive producer, writer David Simon came. Why it's cult. Um, dense in the number of its characters, its dialogue, and its uh, interconnected storylines, The Wire was one of the most highly praised series in HBO history, but never one of its hits. The stellar ensemble yielded several cult favorite characters, uh, most notably the eerily omnipresent Omar Little, uh, a Robin Hood-like figure who robbed from other dealers and never harmed an ordinary citizen. The show's uh, vaunted repertorial uh, critiques of various Baltimore institutions occasionally gave it a near-documentary feel. There you go. Comments, anyone? Well, okay, I mean, I get this one. I, I understand why this is on the list, because you're talking about a show that didn't make it to that critical syndication number of 100. I think it's only got, I think it only had like 12 or 13 episodes of season, so therefore you're talking 60, I guess, in that neighborhood, 62 maybe. Um, 60, exactly. So that's not, is it 60 exactly? Okay. So that's not enough to really get it into syndication. Um, and you've also got something that kind of hasn't done. Uh, the kind of business that even HBO is looking at. Um, so you, you are talking about something that is really low rated. The fact that nobody else is really speaking up here means I'm the only one who's got HBO. That's basically what that amounts to. <laughs> um, or what? And, you know, or, yeah. So you, you're talking about a tiny sliver of the population of America that has seen this. Kind of, I would say it's even smaller than the sliver that sees. Doctor Who on BBC America, and as we've talked before, that's not many. Um, so you're, hundreds of thousands of people might have been watching this on a regular basis instead of even a million. Um, so if you saw it, you your jaw would drop at how good it is. Um, but you probably didn't see it, and it you know was canceled for cause. It was canceled because the ratings were low, and Probably canceled because they, although HBO didn't get enough out of it to syndicate, and that may have never been a part of the business plan at all, at least they got five seasons out of it, which is enough to, you know, get some DVD sales and say, we're going to put together, you know, you can have the whole five seasons, you know, we'll get some more money out of that, you know, enough to do some sort of aftermarket stuff with. Um, but yeah, it's, pretty phenomenal this show it really is just it has nothing to do with 
science fiction whatsoever. Nothing to do with traditional cult areas. It is cult because only a percentage of people ever saw it. It got nominated to Yin Yang for award and won some of them, but not all of them. Um, and, you know, skewed towards a particular demographic. And I guess that, that fits the definition for me. And would I think it's deservedly high on this list? Yeah. I'm not at all pleased with it being at number five. That makes total sense to me. Um, if you're trying to make a list where you're not everything at the top is comedy, not everything at the top is uh, science fiction, this makes sense to me. I think it's better than X-Files. I think it might even should be higher than that. It is phenomenal television. And if you ever get a chance to see it, run, take it. Okay, anyone else want to comment on the wire? Okay, I'll take the silence as a, a, a clue to move forward. We're going to move up to uh, four on the list. Our, uh, five. Uh, our <laughs> five. Uh, I'll just play uh, a, um, a few seconds of the uh, X-Files trailer. Oregon female, age 21, no explainable cause of death. Autopsy shows nothing. There are, however, these two distinct marks on her lower back. I've arranged to exhume one of the other victims' bodies to see if we can get a tissue sample to match the girls. Corpses in advanced stages of decay and desiccation. Distinguishing features include large ocular cavities, oblate cranium. Indicate subject is not human. Not human. Woo-hoo-hoo. Talking of not human, Ian, do you want to go ahead? There we go. I knew that was coming. <clears throat> All right, the X-Files. What's it about? Um... FBI agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully uh, are a pair of black-suited uh, contacts investigating the cases that are too out there for their colleagues. You know, parasitic monsters, alien abductions, murders, and bread hillbilly families, the usual overflow. Why is it cult? The X-Files was... Uh, I don't even know what the word is. Yeah. Some oddball sci-fi fans, conspiracy theorists, and Area 51 pilgrims everywhere. Ratings improved every year for the first five seasons. Well, Mulder and Scully's believers, believer versus skeptic dynamic created a TV template. It's still heavily in use today. But, you know, uh, is it cult? Spawned two movies. I don't know how successful the movies were, but um, uh, th- that's always one of the things that's. Uh, and, and, and yeah. it's, and it's, I would say too. I would say too popular for cult. Yeah. Well, you were talking about a series that was, you know, in the top twenty for its middle yeah. years, which is all. You know, it's a very typical pattern for a network television show, um, except that you know, in the first year, I. Granted, that's called the first year. It's I don't know why it got renewed. That's the real question. It's one of those things like Cheers. Cheers was horrible this first year, and for some reason, perhaps because they didn't have anything else to do, they said we'll try it one more year. And they tried it one more year, and the ratings were a lot better. And they tried it the next year, and the ratings got you know better again. But this is this is still something that is today we would look at it and we would say no, what is this called? Because you're talking you know, around 15 million viewers, I think, something like that. Maybe, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and 20 for most of its seasons. Um, 
So that's and uh, over two hundred episodes. Over two hundred episodes as well. Now. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, as we discovered, one of the key points about a cult show is that it's canceled too early. It's canceled before you get answers to questions. It's canceled while it's still in, in an interesting phase, and therefore it engenders a population of people who are really curious about how it might have turned out and they let it go because they can't let it go because they don't know what the answers are. And despite the fact that this show, you know, lived and died on the, the notion of you know, the answers are out there, the fact of the matter is it kind of answered them. Uh, I mean, it, or at least it got to the point where people didn't care that much about what the answer was anymore. Um, so, I don't know. It, it's really hard to call it. When you say the first season was terrible, do you mean by production standards or uh, storylines no, no, no. or or ratings? Purely, purely ratings. Yeah, it's just and it's just like Cheers. You know, Cheers first series, hor- you know, and by horrible I mean something out of the top one hundred. Um, and Cheers was the same way. I think it was out of the top one hundred too. But the first series of Cheers is great. I mean, it it is better than in quality to me than the the series of Cheers that got better ratings. You know, Cheers is a little bit of an anomaly because Cheers actually ends on a high, um, and all that time with um, Kirstie Alley is actually rated a lot better than the time with Shelley Long. But I think any Cheers fan will tell you that doesn't make any sense because it's the Shelley Long stuff that is true Cheers, um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know what the answer is as to why it got renewed after the first season. My guess would be it was because it was on Fox, and Fox was brand new at the time, and they really didn't have anything else to do. That would be my guess, but I don't know. Well, from my recollection, it it was doing reasonably well by the end of the first season in ratings. Uh, the ratings kept getting better as the season went on, was catching on. Uh, so that might be why they renewed it. No, I mean, it, was, it is definitely a show that, as we said before, it increased every year of its first five years. The question is, though, why do you renew a show that is in the top 100, is not, not even in the top 100 in its first year? That's not typical. Usually a show that is out of the first top 100 doesn't get renewed, and I don't know why it got renewed. Really all. I, I think it was in the top 100 Weekly, by the time it ended the first season, the rates no just got better. Might have, it, might have. If if my memory serves correctly. Yeah, I don't. I don't have particularly great memory as to the and, details of that. I just know it. I know overall, generally, the first season was probably in the. Uh, no, it was definitely out of the top one hundred. But you're right. It may have been. You know, they may have detected something in like the last six episodes or something like that, where they said, "Oh, it looks like it's picking up." We don't have much else to do because we're new network. Let's see if one more season doesn't do it. But don't forget too, another phenomenon that's going on here is the beginning of the um, Canadian production phase. And so what might have happened is that uh, they did a deal with the producers and they they figured out it wasn't that expensive to produce relative to other shows because they were making it in Vancouver. This is, you know, right at the very beginning of that economic model where you started to see a lot of shows going up to Vancouver where they could they had much lower production costs. So maybe they just, you know, were able to make a, a financial argument for keeping it on the air, even though there wasn't really a very strong ratings argument for it. 
Uh, that could be. Okay. Anyone else? I I, I really love this series. Um, you know, it started toward the end of the Star Trek: The Next Generation, and I said, well, you know, there wasn't anything to fill the hole that Next Generation left. Well, I forgot about this series while we were talking about it. This was a close second for me anyway to uh next generation but again does it really deserve to be on this list i'm not sure because it was so popular especially um you know second season on um maybe it was cultish in the first first season as darth was saying um a lot of people think it went way too long but you know what uh with the eighth and ninth seasons i really thought they were Doing something fresh again. Um, the the main star David Duchovny had left the show at that point for the most part, and they brought in um, I can't think of the actor's name, but uh, and I, I thought it was fresh again, and I enjoyed it. Uh, they had more of the uh, one-off monster of the week type episodes that made the series originally. Gotten too much into this storyline of uh, conspiracy, uh, smoking man, and all that, and they went back to what made it great originally. Now the spin-off show, Lone Gunman, that's definitely cult. I don't know even even had much of an audience, but oh, that was a great show. It was, yeah. it was kind of a comedic uh, takeoff of the X Files, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. I like that too. And speaking of the lone gunman, um, uh, the the pilot episode was much different in tone than the rest of the series was. But what was really interesting about the pilot, it aired in, I believe it was March of 2001. And in that episode, that pilot episode, the climax was an airliner being flown into the Twin Towers. Yeah. It was before, you know, the actual event of 9-11. Remember that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, I think we can since, go on. Yeah, time is marching on. And like I said, I hate to hurry through some of these, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think we need to play the clip in because it doesn't really make much sense, the, the clip for this one. I'm not too sure. Well, I'll play the side of it, but I think it's more of a stand-up, unless the program was as daft as this. But here you go. <laughs> In the not-too-distant future, next Sunday, AD, there was a guy named Joel, not too different from you or me. He worked at his Monarch Institute, just another face in a red jumpsuit. You can get another day. As much as I want to hear it, it, it does yeah. go on for a bit. Um, I think I want to hear it. Again, or N. La, la, la. <laughs> 
La la la. It's, it's actually a, it's a shame that Charlie's not Charlie P seventy nine's not here because I know uh, he'd love to talk about this. But, uh, it yeah. sounded like a Craig a Ferguson send up thing that to me. I mean, <laughs> well, let me let, let me talk about it a bit here. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, was, uh, 1988 um, on KMTA, and then uh, 89 to 91, and then the Comedy Channel, uh, 91 to 96, and Comedy Central, uh, and then uh, it was on Sci-Fi as well. I caught it when it was on Sci-Fi Channel, but uh, what's it about? Uh, Space-traveling janitor Joel Robinson. Uh, Joe Hodson and later Mike Nelson are forced to watch terrible B movies like The Brain That Wouldn't Die, along with their robot sidekicks. Um, actually, the, 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 the robots were made out of spare parts from the space station um, uh, as, as a kind of torture. Basically, they was, he was like an experiment. Um, and they survived by heckling their way through uh, the screenings of these movies uh, and, and basically making... Um, comments about these movies. It's actually quite fantastic. Liam's even uh, quite into it. Um, it's on uh, various ones on Netflix, and, and he really loves it. Um, why is it cult? MST3K taught us that snarky commentary about media can be way more entertaining than the actual media. A lesson that was subsequently taken to heart by Beavis and Butthead, Talk Soup, Tosh.0, and uh, just about every blog ever. So, um, yeah, I remember watching the show and thinking it was just fantastic. I mean, it all depends on the movie, I guess, uh, that whether you're entertained by that, but some of the commentary that they would do. It's kind of like us, Dave, talking all over the top of Doctor Who, except more entertaining, I think. Um, oh, and dear. snarky, and snarky as hell. <laughs> um, they'd, you know, they'd fill in uh, different dialogue and and point out, like, uh, really ridiculous, you know, plot failures and, you know... And, and especially a lot of the B movies that had just you know, either had terrible titles or uh, terrible monsters, or the makeup was exceedingly bad, or you know, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. If you ever get the chance to see one or two of them, um, actually, just ask Charlie P first. He'll 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 give you a good guide, or Mike probably will too, as to uh, what are some of the best ones to watch. But anyone else? Yes, yes, yes. Um... I love this show. I am a misty, as they call fans of this show. I started watching on Comedy Central and started with the Joel Hodgson um, episodes. And you have Crow T. Robot, Tom Servo, the vacuum cleaner-looking gypsy. Those are his robot pals. And like you said, he's the dread experiment of Dr. Forrester, and that's a little wink-wink, nudge-nudge joke to Clayton Forrester from the Gene Berry character in War of the Worlds and TV's Frank, Frank Conniff. And they were all writers on the show, and they'd send Push up... the button, Frank. Yeah, but you Frank. And <laughs> some of the best things they did, Gamera movies. I remember in my heart, Gamera is really neat. He is made of turtle meat. We all love you, Gamera, which is really good. And the Andrew Lloyd Webber grill. Um, it doesn't pride. It just ruins bad musicals and steals from other composers. And um, 
one of the worst or best. It, it got better the worse the movie was, actually. Um, <laughs> Usually. <laughs> I think the all-time classic great bad one was Manos, the Hands of Fate, which I really recommend to pick up. It's one of the worst movies. I think it, it, it goes with maybe the incredibly strange creatures who gave up living and became mixed-up zombies as one of the worst films ever. And there's a character in it called Torgo, and this, this is during the Mike Nelson days, and Mike is made up in makeup. And the thing is, the skits they do, I don't know if anyone's ever seen any of the old Ernie Kovac show from the 50s. It has that kind of free-wheeling attitude, uh, the jokes. It was not as good when um, Trace Bulow, who is, I, I'm not sure which robot, Tom or Gypsy, but one of the voices of the robots, and he was uh, Dr. Forrester, um, left the series, and they had his sister, Mary Joan Pell, Mary Jo Pell, I think her name is, played uh, Dr. Forrester's wife, um, who was the one who led the experiments that was on Sci-Fi Channel. But when you had TV's Frank and Dr. Forrester, Joel, and then Mike, Mike Nelson there, uh, trapped in the ship, pointing at the screen, making fun of everything. I wish the show was still on because the DVDs get really pretty expensive if you want to get them all. But um, if, you, if you find them discounted or I think if you see it on Netflix, please, if you like bad movies or you love movies at all, and if any times you look at the TV and you want to just scream at it and make fun of a movie, this is doing it with you. It's it's a sublime joy. Right. So there were 184 at least episodes. We thought. So I'm I'm completely. I've heard of it, but are these real movies that they're talking about? Are do they actually oh, yeah. make? They, they, no, they don't they're... make the spoof movie as well as. They're real comedy. movies. Right. Generally, so Plan either... Nine from Outer Space and things like that. Right. Public domain. But the thing is, they do arguably some. Good movies because they well, they did the one that was in the theater, and it was This Island Earth. Like I think that's one of the best movies of the fifties. You know, that's that. a fun, good science fiction film. I, I love that movie, and I you know, and it, bother, it bothered me that they were riffing on that. You know, they did a good job of it because I mean, you know, people have big heads, and you got the big mutant with the very sexy woman. So you have things to, to kind of point at the screen and go at. But, you know, you want to do a, maybe a, a Toho special or a real bad Mexican monster movie like The Brainiac or something, and you, you, you want to go for it with those. So I, I don't think that the film succeeds as well. Something else that they did besides showing the film, they would take these real tiring things you had to sit through in school educational uh, announcements, um, sex education films, uh, films on politeness. Um, are, 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 are you a know-it-all or are you a doobie or a don't-be type of thing? And they would take that with the kids with the flat tops and everything but the 50s 
and they would do their whole soundtrack, new soundtrack of that, you know, which which was hilarious. But um, really, really recommend uh, doing it and uh, looking into the show because it is wonderful. I actually loved it when they did the Silent Earth because I loved it when they built their own interocitor and they actually did a damn good job in the props department of actually yeah. building that damn thing. Just <laughs> fantastic. And and I'm a big fan of them. I loved watching that movie. Oh, seg- seg- and I don't way. actually think I don't think they did a bad way. job. I thought they were kind of yeah. you know, it was it was neat to see something that I loved and but I don't think they did uh I don't think they, they harmed it too much for me. No, but I was you know, I it was just a little hard to get into for me because I like the movie so much I don't want to laugh at it. Um, well, I, I I think part of that was because they wanted to pull in some audience that weren't currently fans, so they 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 had a film that was, you know, yeah. recognizable. Yeah, right. And it was something really bad. Yeah. Oh well, you, you felt to with my opinion uh, it was just basically because so often on YouTube I'll find something that I think is a trailer and then it turns out to be a fan based you know skit of the trailer and that trailer was such that I thought well is this a kids program is this a a rehash or or whatever but um, the element that Ken was describing and and Ian there sounds as though there was a lot more to it than that uh, very oh, kind of it, was, it was a hilarious show. I loved that show. I watched it just about every time it came on that I that I could be around the TV. I made sure that I watched it. It was just hilarious. And I wish I could get some of the DVDs, uh, but they are pretty expensive, as Ken said. There are they are on Netflix as well and uh, and Hulu. Uh, you can watch some of them there. They've got a bunch. Um, so. But also, I put in a link in there of, of, of um, the Wikipedia site. Basically, it lists all the movies that they talk all over the top of. So, and um, I also and the, agree. The guys with are still some of the guys are still at it too. Um, if you've ever ever heard of Rift Tracks, mm-hmm. um, they are the guys behind Rift Tracks, or at least some of them are. And uh, recently, I think it was, it was uh, beginning of the year, they actually did a um, a live uh, MST3K. Um, doing Manos um, so you can actually go to the theater and hear them riffing on it live so that was that was quite a cool thing but I didn't get to go to that did, Liam just reminded Fath- me of that today which was funny didn't Fathom Events just recently have a riff tracks yeah that's, that's what I was talking about that's what they did Manos okay here's a moment that I could break a, break in to mention something else that goes along with the show and it actually goes in with the riff tracks thing uh, if if you talk with a lot of fans of MSC3K, MSCs, you know, as, as Ken said, there's one thing that that frequently comes up, and uh, is the question of are you a fan of the Mike era or the or a fan of the Joel era? Because the first number of seasons, I, what I don't remember how many seasons it was that Joel Hodgson was the the, the main character playing Joel Robinson, but was it four uh, or five? Eventually, when it moved, yeah, eventually yeah. it was. When they, when they moved over to uh, to sci-fi, no, this was was this when they moved over to sci-fi, or was this still on Comedy Central that Mike Nelson became the main the main character? Comedy. Comedy, okay. Yeah. Because at, at one point there was an episode where they where they shifted main characters, where where Joel left and Mike became the, the main character, and it was from that point on, and really when it moved over to sci-fi, that the the the, the style of the skits that, uh, changed. That of course, uh, Doctor Forrester 
left. Uh, Trace Bilyeu left the show. Uh, um, brought brought in the, the new the, the new villain, the new Mad, uh, with uh, Doctor Forster's mom. And but basically, uh, what what goes along there is, of course, you know, the, the show is kind of has has a different feel with the Mike era and the Joel era. But you know, the the core of it is still the same. They still do the riffs on the movies. But going along with that, you know, the Joel era, the Mike era, Mike Nelson and a few other car- actors from, from the show at that, at that time, they went on to do riff tracks. Now, yep. Joel Michael, Hodgson, Mike Nelson, uh, Kevin Murphy, and Bill Corbett. Yeah, Trace, on the on the other side, though, Trace uh, Trace Bilyeu, Joel Hodgson, Mary Jo, Mary jo Pell, and a few others, they went on to do a similar thing that they called Cinematic Titanic. It's a, the same thing, sort of a similar thing as as a riff track, it's the basic idea from MSC3K of riffing on movies, and they've done a lot of live events with, with that. So, if you are a fan of the Joel era, then you have Joel, you have Joel, you have Trace, you have you have Mary, you have you have those you have those actors on Cinematic Titanic. So, it's interesting to compare. And uh, uh, Mike Nelson has joked several times about oh, we should do a rivalry between riff tracks and Cinematic Titanic, but they've never really followed up on that. Now, so it's, it's a thing. Now, thanks for reminding her that 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 she was the mom, uh, Mary Jo Pell, uh, yeah. for his mom and that. But um, there all there was also um, a character before Joel when it was in the um, cable days, and I know that they played some of them on. Uh, Comedy Central, I think, with Josh Weinstein. I think Joel was the Weinstein. actor who was in it. I don't know. No, it, was jo- it was Josh Weinstein. Yeah. Yeah. He, he also voiced one of Tom Servo, I think it was, and uh, Trace voiced Crow in the beginning. Okay. Yeah, I think he had dark hair with glasses. I remember. So I saw a few of them. Did not like them as much uh, at all. But those were like the really. It's like watching old kinescopes. So it's like the first, second, and third Doctor or something um, of a mystery science theater. You know, it's cute. Such a fun show. And the song is fun to sing along to. Okay. We just got, uh, well, although there are three more on the uh, EW, I'm assuming that although Ian will mention what the new one is, We'll, we'll not get into a long discussion of that one because we do it on other things. So we've basically got two more to do, guys. Yep. All right. Uh, if there's no objections, we will move swiftly onwards to number 2-3. <laughs> no, it's not 23, it's 2-3. We're working between two lists. Same list, but with an addition on one of them. Anyway, uh, coming in at that number is Arrested Development. What's it about? Uh, a privileged, self-obsessed Orange County family falls apart when its patriarch and CEO of its real estate company, uh, played by Jeffrey Tambor, is arrested for fraud, prompting uh, level-headed son Michael, played by Jason Bateman, to pick up all of the dysfunctional pieces. Why is it cult? The critically acclaimed comedy jacked up the bar on what to expect from a network from a network show. Fast, delirious, interlocking jokes that don't pander to the masses. Winky gags, easy fake preview scenes from the following week's episode. Uh, and a cast of absurd characters, including a mama's boy named Buster, uh, who has a hook for a hand because of his... 
as a seal and a bow tie bit it off. The legend grew so powerful in in in, in cancellation. Uh, AD is being revived as a TV show on Netflix next year, and possibly as a, as a movie as well. So yes, just Sorry. fifty-four episodes. <laughs> My wife used to watch this and loved it. Um, I never really kind of got into it, so I'll stand over here. Well, I would just point out that you know, just by uh, user ratings on IMDb, it is the highest one on the list. It is nine point three, and I know this is not scientific rating or anything like that, but just based on the people that have come to IMDb, and we know there are a lot of them. Almost everybody say this is a 10 out of 10, and there's no dispute that it is not my thing on the list. No. We're losing you, but you're kind of quiet. Little break up, yeah. Sorry. Okay. I think it should be. I think it should be number one on the list. I think Buffy is not even. Again, I've not seen Buffy, so that's maybe not fair. But I can't possibly imagine. First of all, Buffy can't be on the list because high rated. Relatively speaking, for that era, it has multiple seasons. It's I don't a think team program. Yeah, it was a big team. Right. I mean, is it cult? I don't. I suppose because Whedon, Whedon's name is associated with a cult, but it's by far Whedon's most mm. successful show. So, should it really be at the top of the list for that reason alone? No. To me, Arrested Development is the definition of a cult program, and. Um, you can wrap your mind around it a lot of different ways. First of all, it is by far, of the things that are on this list, the most well-awarded series here. The, this thing was, you know, even in cancellation, even after cancellation, it was still picking up awards. Uh, I think, you know, we talked about Firefly, how a lot of the reason that that gets to be a cult favorite is because it was cut off because because before the questions that had been posed in the show were answered, this is totally different in that they actually did get to finish it. And I don't know of anybody. I've never heard one bit of criticism about the ending. The ending is beautiful. It is simply gorgeous. I cannot imagine this thing have be, being ended in a better way. Now you look on the other side. It got canceled for cause. They could never string together a reasonable audience. Uh, you know, their best showing was probably, I think, season one. I think they had like six million or something like that. Whatever. Uh, I know that they ended really poorly, even though they were pumping out great stuff in season three. And even though they ended the whole thing in a way that's totally satisfying, um, it's. It still only got four million, and I think that they, in the end, I don't think that they showed everything. Or they, if they did, they showed, they burnt off the last things later, whatever. Um, but when you sit down and you've got all three DVDs lined up, all three seasons on DVD lined up, and you just watch them one after the other, by the time you get to the end, I know, unless you are just comically brain dead or insensitive to comedy. If you actually give your attention to it and you start from the beginning, I cannot imagine that you will come out of it thinking anything, but that is the most phenomenal 
comedy show I've ever seen. And to be honest with you, do I want more? Yes. Do I need more? I think the answer is no. I think they got enough advance warning that they could put together something that put each one of these characters in place where you felt like that they their road had been traveled. And although I certainly am going to be watching with whatever new stuff is coming out of Netflix or whatever, I this is it's so unusual this show it's so unusual to have a show that doesn't peter out that doesn't shy away from asking and answering questions that are interesting that actually tries to make narrative progress this is a comedy show that is serial drama as well because it's not like each individual show is unconnected from the others in fact you've got jokes that start in one episode and don't pay off until six episodes later. Don't really pay off until six episodes later. You got one one of the major pieces of comedy starts in episode one and is not resolved until the last episode. Um, it's crazy how good the writing is on this. I cannot give it enough press. It should be number one. It absolutely is the best cult show ever made. And it is, to my mind, the best comedy period ever made for American television, period, to this day. And the reason that it's the best American comedy is that it comments on America. It makes an actual stand about things having to do with Americans. And maybe for that reason, it is slightly... Arcane to non-Americans. Now, I'm not going to say that it necessarily would throw people off, but some of the comedy in it is, to my mind, something that you know, as a student of both British and American comedy, I think some of the comedy here is very American uh, and wouldn't necessarily translate uh, simply because the references are. So, um, in fact, specific to California, maybe even, um, or specific to certain regions of the United States, in some cases, New York, whatever, uh, that I'm not sure somebody would fully get. I, I, you know, having been on the other foot many occasions watching, you know, certain uh, British comedy, I, I can tell you that. It, it just seems like to me this is an, a, a show that is definitionally American. I think it's not just definitionally American. It's also, you know, something that is really important to understanding the Bush era in America. I mean, it's very uh, topical, but it's topical in a way that still, you know, be, still makes sense today. I mean, I don't think that people now will have a problem with it. Will people 25 years from now be able to relate to it quite so much? I hope not, because what it's doing is saying, you know, what Bush and people got us into is horrible. And this is a way to laugh at that. Um, and, and in many ways, the patriarch of the family is sort of a stand-in for George Bush. Um, it, it's just, in so many ways, it's 
a fabulous, fabulous show, and it's just, it is to my mind a tragedy that you're, uh, this this epi- this list is going to say somehow Buffy is better than this because I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Even though I've never seen Buffy, there is no way I can believe Buffy is better than Arrested Development. And I think that the the people of IMDb at least are saying no way is better either because again it's the highest rated show on here at least as far as IMDb is concerned and certainly is you know in terms of the number of years that it was on the show it is the highest percentage winner of Emmy Awards so there we go yeah like I said it is on Netflix and it's coming back to Netflix so uh at some point, I want to see if the if the wife is is willing to watch it. I don't know if some of the like you said, some of the inaccessibility um, to it is because it's quite an American thing, and at the time I was still relatively new to the country, and maybe that's why it just really failed to 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 interest me. My wife would sit there and maybe. laugh her ass off, and I'd be like, oh, "It's all right." Yeah, it, I I don't know that if it's something that you didn't start at the beginning. And this is weird for a sitcom, but if it's something you didn't start at the beginning, you might have missed something. Um, but it, if you start at episode one and you work your way through diligently, uh, which makes it sound like hard work, which it's really not. But if you start at the beginning and, and strictly go chronologic, chronologically, um, it will. It can't help but making makes sense to you because I'm telling you the comedy effect of this thing it is like a snowball and each episode that you go through the comedy gets greater and greater especially on certain points that are themes that keep getting echoed through so that by the end of it things that were somewhat funny maybe in episode one season one are ridiculously funny um it's it's not it is serial com- honestly there's nothing like it it is serial comedy i mean it, sort sort of the office is kind of like this at least the original american office i mean the original british office maybe the american office too but i would suspect not um you know how when you watch the office from the beginning you as you get to know the characters things they do become funnier and funnier it's kind of like that but yet there's also a, a somewhat intricate actual plot that's going on um Certainly, you know, and then the plot has to do with the father and his events uh, of, or his, the reasons why he got sent to jail and his efforts to get out of jail. Um, that's and, and the effect that that has on the rest of his family. That's a plot that's moving through it. So it's not. It, it's, it's wrong to call it a situation comedy. It's right to call it comedy, but situational. Not really, because that implies there's a setup and that there's a fixed situation that's going on. And every week, that situation plays out in more or less the same way with some variation here and there. And it, it's really not like that. It's really much more, there is a story going on, and these people are just screwed up. And so, therefore, because they're screwed up, the story that's going on just gets worse and worse and worse and worse, and you're just, just laughing. The whole time through, you're just laughing because it's ridiculous what's going on. The one thing I do remember about it is how they um, um, they lived in a model home. And so every morning when they got up, they had to just hide everything and and put the plastic food back on the table. (laughs) Right. 
Yeah, that, that certainly is a big element of it. But you know, and and that's another thing. You know, in as you say it, that's a funny concept. Somebody living mm-hmm. in a, a a home. But as you go through it, the implications of what that means become funnier and funnier and funnier. So it, it's an amazing piece of work. It, it, I cannot heap enough praise on it. It is it's probably my favorite show period. Beyond being I think the best comedy America's ever produced, beyond being certainly the uh, the best cult show that's ever been made. I I I think it is my favorite show of all time. There you go. That's why I went to you. <laughs> all right, anybody else before we move swiftly on? Nope. Okay, dokie. Now we come down to the contentious part of the show. And not just because that uh the original list and one of the reasons kind of why we picked up on this list in the first place is because there was an absence. Um but anyway Dave will talk on this at length. Uh coming in at number one slash number two is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't think we need to play the uh, music again, do we, Dave? But I know you'd love to. Did we lose Dave? Did you lose me? Uh, le- no, I'm here. Am I here? <laughs> can you hear me? I can, I hear, can you. hear you. Can you hear me? Good. Well, let's let's just check. I better just check the sound then. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we starting the show again? It's all like that. Go on, Dave. Read it. You have to. Uh, well, well, in one sense, I don't think it should be on the list. I suppose because it is mainstream. Uh, I think it should be a whole, a whole cultum episode on its own. But uh, there you go. Uh, from 1997 to 2003. Uh, the seven seasons, of course. Um, after traumatize the traumatizing ordeal. Uh, wait, what? Oh, after the traumatizing ordeal of the movie with the same name, Buffy Summers and her mother moved to Sunnydale, only to discover that L.A. was just a walk in the park. Of course, change of actress to Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's just Whedon thing, as was mentioned, uh, launched the careers of uh, Alison Hannay, Hannigan, rather, I should say, American Pie fame and so on. Uh, let me read what it says on the uh, uh, Entertainment Weekly. Um, a teenage vampire hunter, Sarah Michelle Geller, and her loyal Scooby gang uh, sometimes uh, fall in love with supernatural bodies under the watchful eyes of the wise librarian Giles, played by Anthony Stewart Head from Merlin and uh, all other sorts of shows. Why it's cult? You could say it was Geller's fully committed portrayal of the Slayer that caused TV fans to rally, or Joss Weldon's witty dialogue. Or the lovable ensemble, or the attractive, broody vampires with whom Buffy kept company. In truth, it was really Charisma Carpenter. Oh no, it doesn't say that. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, don't I don't know where that bit came from. Uh, uh, Buffy sleeps with a uh, sleeps with Angel and wakes up to discover she's he's turned e- evil. Raise your hand if you haven't been there. Well, of course. Uh, 
Darth has to be there. It's as a watching anyway. Uh, I I really love this, but I totally agree whether it should be in this list at all. I don't know. I think the the standard it was fabulous. Started out um, only on 16 millimeter film. They didn't have a big budget at all. Uh, four by three aspect. It took it till something like series four before it went widescreen. Uh, spawned the spin-off, of course, Angel. Um, which went on for five series. I've got the, all the box sets of Buffy, all the box sets of Angel. I am a big fan. I think Ken is a fan, maybe one or two others. But whether it should be on this list at all, and whether indeed I should be trying to talk about it in three to five minutes, <laughs> uh, it deserves a show on its own. So with that, as long as you know I like it, then I'll move on to someone else. So... Ken anyone, or someone? Anyone? I don't know if Ken's, Ken might not be here, but he's here. All oh, right, he's not. He was playing with being called away again, so he might not actually be yeah, available. All right, well, I think we'll move uh, move on to what, what has <laughs> transpired in this list. And one of the original reasons that you know, Dave, Mike, and I set and discussed you know, upcoming shows, we'd uh, seen that this list was, was out there and had a little walk through it and noticed there was you know listed all these shows but uh, no sign of Doctor Who it had definitely had a, a very very much an american uh, slant to uh, to to the, to the shows listed um until today when i happened to uh, uh to go onto their site and looked at their list and it's now changed uh, as we've been hinting at the whole way through um at least this episode uh, buffy is now sitting at number 2 because now at number one is Doctor Who. The US broadcast history of the 49-year-old British science fiction show is a tangled one. But since 2009, the show has been screened here on BBC America. What's it about? A two-hearted humanoid alien capable of periodic physical regeneration and known only as the Doctor travels through space and time in an old British phone box. Uh, battling monsters with his assistance, uh, with the assistance of a sonic screwdriver and routinely confused companions. Why it's cult? Did you not read the above summary? Suffice to say that even other cult shows, notably the Who referencing community, regard this theoretically children-aimed scare machine as being a bit culty. So. That's why uh, the, the, the list has changed. They don't explain as to why they, they made the change from the uh, uh, the print version to this. Um, I don't know whether it was a writing campaign that said, oh, what the hell, um, or what happened, but it is now on the list. Um, well, I think I it, might the the when, it might have been the juxtaposition, Ian, that they were in the same... Uh, I think it might, uh, might be able to remind us, but it was on the same... Uh, monthly magazine, wasn't it? Doctor mm. Who was on the cover of the same month that this list came. Was that right, Mike? Yeah, I'm holding the issue right right here. I found a copy of it a few weeks ago. It's a it's a, it's a weekly, hence the name Entertainment, Entertainment Weekly. But the the cover of it has Matt Smith on the cover and the 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 logo, the headline on the front. Inside the cult of Doctor Who, and it talks about how uh, how the show. It was originally how the show was originally broadcast on PBS and the the weird schedules that we had back then and how it returned in 2005 uh, on Sci-Fi briefly and then over to BBC America. 
So it, it, the, the list itself that, we're, that we've been talking about is preceded on the previous pages itself. At page 35, the, the, the Doctor Who article ends on page 35, and the next page is the list. So it, it's Which is just exceedingly odd considering. Yeah, the, 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 they talk about the cult of Doctor Who and right. have, have this list of cult shows. Which, of course, most of them we've argued probably don't you know really belong on this list, but they don't include the thing that's on the front cover. Just really kind of very very odd. You know whether you think that I mean at, when I got the Doctor Who, I I would say it was a cult show. Um, not that many people in New Zealand watched it. It wasn't didn't have a huge following. It was one of those things that they kind of filled in before the news. It was that that odd kind of hour right before people really kind of sat down and ate dinner. And it was all like five or five thirty, usually in the winter. Um, I mean, we, as a family, we watched it all the time. But yeah, of course, by the time I got old enough to really kind of start appreciating it, it was done. And so I spent the rest of the time until you know recently watching it on DVD and and, and reading about stuff online and where I could go into to fan club meetings because that's all there was. You know, there were some books and you know. Later, later, later on, audio adventures. But yeah, that's what we had. Whether you call it a cult show now, I don't know. Well, well it's I think a hugely actually, what... successful, award-winning show, and so yeah. Perhaps so. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Rather than everybody actually commenting on about the show itself, mm. because we we go back to the dot two time and time oh, again. Yes. Maybe we just want to restrict our comments. Uh, to whether it should be on the list or not in this well, particular Well, that, that was my point. It's like at, at the time when I got into the show, you, you probably could have called it cult because it was done over, and all that was left was this, you know, group following of this show that was gone. Um, but now it's back, and it's and it's award-winning, and it's and it's on all time. And uh, so, does that leave it as as being a cult show anymore? At least here in the States, definitely, because I remember I, I saw Doctor Who originally when I was a kid, maybe three or four years old, and it was on, aired Saturday nights on the local PBS affiliate, and it was like 10 o'clock at night or so, and it would be Tom Baker episodes or John Pertwee, and, it, and by 1989, by 1990, definitely, that, that PBS affiliate had pulled it, they were no longer showing it, and so from that point on, you know, I was watching Star Trek The Next Generation in, in its original original run. So from that point on, I kind of moved on. I was just a little kid when I saw it, and there was that brief moment in 1996, of course, the Paul McGann movie on, on Fox, that brief moment where I was reminded, oh yeah, this is a show that I watched as a kid on Saturday nights, but, you know, nothing ever became of that. So I moved on and forgot about it again. And But, you know, here in the States... It's. I remember back in the '90s or even early 2000s, mentioning Doctor Who to other people, and you know, be frequently greeted with, "What? What's that show? I've never even heard of that." Uh, that's that weird. Or people who have maybe like, oh, "That's that weird British show that used to come on," but mainly it would be, "Never heard of it. Not too familiar with it." Whereas nowadays, especially, especially nowadays, and after. Moffat's era has been going on for a while, and you know the success of the Davies era. Nowadays, sure, everyone, practically everyone, knows what Doctor Who is. It's all over the place. But back in the nineties, no. I would. It would definitely be cult back then. Yeah, I mean, I, I would more make a case of Torch, and not not being at the top of the list. But if there was 
one to be on the list, I suppose it would be Torchwood. But it seems strange. Like you said, it's not just mostly American-centric. This is the only non-American on the list at all, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, even even now, you only have, what, a million and a half Americans watching the show. That's, what, um, about 5%, not even that, of the American population. Right. So I would still say it's call to share in the States. Okay, so we don't. We've, I don't. I wouldn't want listeners listening to the recording later to think we haven't got anything to say about that too. We're, right. we're just trying not to launch into the merits of the show, just the merits of whether it should be on this list. Well, I mean, I think Doctor Who is, you know, very much the thing of um, time. I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. Kind of like Star Trek, mm. you know. If you're if you're saying if you, if you are talking from the position of 1978, Star Trek is cult. Period. There's no doubt. It is definitional cult. If you're talking, um, you know, in the 1960s and 1970s, and you live in Britain, it is not cult. I don't see it as cult. I mean, not especially, you know, even when you get to the late 70s. And okay, Doctor is benefiting somewhat by the um, ITV strike or whatever, but you're still talking about a show that is reaching heavy audiences. Um, mm. And the question then becomes, is it a show that goes from being mainstream to one that becomes cult? And I think you have to say, even in Britain, and maybe especially in Britain, it is a show that makes that transition. It starts out as totally mainstream. It starts out as, you know, in 1963 and four, something that becomes an overnight sensation almost uh, after its mm-hmm. first serial. Um, spawns Dalek Mania. At that point, it is mainstream. There's no doubt, um, and it, you know, it does wax and wane in the in the black and white era, but it still is something that people know about. And I, you know, this is before the idea of cult came around. It, it, the worst that you can say about it in the '60s is that it maybe became a show that was less for adults and slipped into something that was more or less only for children, kind of, sort of. Or it certainly started to veer down that way when you started, you know, season five and you got basically monster after monster after monster. You start becoming less about the interesting dynamic that was set up with, uh, or the interesting drama, that's character drama that's set up with the Doctor and Ian and Barbara and Susan, and you start being more about, you know, Victoria screaming at a big furry yeti, kind of. Um so you you do move over time to something in the black and white era where it's starting to slip away, but then Barry Letts comes back in, and you know you, you're in color. You start making stories that are more earth based, more about you know things that people can actually relate to, and you become a show that is regularly doing over ten million eventually, and does so for about you know what. Uh, I don't know, from season 8 to season 17? Yeah, from season 8 to season 17. So a good nine years. You're pretty regularly going above 10 million, and sometimes you're actually breaking back into the uh, top 20 again, like with Dark in Space. You know, some of the episodes there definitely are getting in the top uh, 20. Certainly City of Death, you know, again, benefiting from the strike or whatever. And at that point, in the 70s, it is not cult. 
If it were cult in the 70s, we wouldn't be talking about Doctor Who today. If it were perceived as just a children's show in the 1970s, we wouldn't be talking about Doctor Who today. So then it's not cult. But if you're talking about the 80s, both on, on both sides of the Atlantic, it absolutely slips into cult. Now, it was always called in America because it never got shown on any kind of network. Um, that's just the nature of the game. If where if your distribution point is PBS, you're a cult. Even Sesame Street is a cult. I mean, let's face it. Um, it's a cult, you know, that three and four year olds are a part of. But basically, it's a cult because uh, it's, you know, PBS is not the greatest distribution system for television. Um, and then, you know, in the 90s, it's still a cult, and it's completely gone in America, just about. I mean, a few localities that you can hold in the palm of your hand, not even major cities, it's gone, okay? But in Britain, it's, uh, you know, it's very, I think the 90s are, in a sense, a low point, because that, then it's not just a cult, but it's a ridiculed cult. It's something that is only the butt of joke. People who like it are definitely the butt of jokes. It becomes this thing where, you know, you really have to be beyond a nerd to like it. And so, you know, I think... Well, to admit liking it anyway. So you can admit liking it. Yeah, really, pretty much. Um, but would you say now that it's a cult? You know, since 2006, and I, I don't want to say 2005, but since 2006... Um, since basically the Christmas invasion, so the David Tennant era, um, is it a cult in Britain? No, absolutely not. It's mainstream television. It's event television. It's the thing that BBC pegs their schedule on. It's where they're putting a lot of their money, a lot of their budget. It is the linchpin of BBC One, or one of the linchpins, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a cult in America? Yes. Absolutely, like like uh, Jeff was just saying there, because you, your distribution point is a network that only reaches a million or so people, two million, let's call it, let's be generous, but not only reaches too many people, but he's not even available in all markets. Uh, I, I don't know if they've upped their coverage, but it certainly used to be a couple of years ago, last time I looked at it, that they were only in 73% of the market. So it's not even like if you could get it, you you, you would get it. I mean, you know, it, there there are many parts of the country where you can't even get BBC America. So uh, it it still is a cult in America, and I think that's the reason that it's on the list is because of this improbability thing, because it's got a high profile, because, you know, you've got, you know, some appearances by some of the stars of, of Doctor Who in American media, you know, they're giving press interviews in America where that wouldn't have happened before. So it's got some sort of presence in America. Uh, and I, I think the list is basically just looking from the American perspective. And from the American perspective, it's got high enough rating to be noticed by Americans, who Americans in the media, Americans writing this list. Um, but it, it definitely is cult because of the way in which it, is available to Americans and the few pe- few Americans who actually see it on a regular basis. Okay. So, so there you go. I mean, if anybody, well, I'm sure I don't know where Ian is with his time, but if, Overtime. if <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. 
Um, let, me, let me just just let me just take this moment to just uh, uh, pass on some information that I received during the course of the show, which is probably why I made a few mistakes here and there, just now and again, bits and bobs. But um, and then I'm sure Ian can give people a chance to say uh, just I've had a couple of um, tweets from uh, Louis Trapani of California MC dot two Podshot, uh, just to let's say. Uh, just to get out here on, uh, you know, a valued, well, he doesn't say this, but I'm saying it, a valued podcast medium. Um, just let me know his apologies to the people uh, looking out for the latest episodes of Podshock. Obviously, he's in day seven of his uh, tribunal, well, the following of Sandy, uh, Hurricane Sandy, still no power, still flooded, not sure when... Uh, the Podshot will be up and running, so get, please give his apologies to the listeners. Uh, Podshot will return when he's back in full operation. He has very little net access, no table time, no timetable for new episodes just yet. So please bear with him on that. And of course, we, we know that he's one of us still about four million uh, without power. Uh, we know about um, you know other members, uh, Ken Deep and the others of. And uh, uh, Anthony Burge from um, uh, Mythological Dimensions and uh, one or two of the others, Barnaby Edwards, quite a few people. Obviously, you know, millions of people. But just taking the minute just to anybody, Lewis can't tweet to everybody. So just be aware that Podshock isn't down and out, but um, he will get it back up and running as soon as he is back up and running. Oh, and one more thing. Yeah, uh, next week, about. next week we're doing, unless our schedule changes because of something we discussed today, uh, is coming up with your dream cast, your dream casting for Star Trek: Next Generation with the 25th anniversary. If it was to relaunch, you know, which actors would you like to play the key parts? But please do check out the uh, Cult of Torture site, because uh, we'll be adding some new topics uh, for the upcoming weeks, but at the moment, that is scheduled for next week. One um, when, when, when article that's on Digital Spy is uh, they had a uh, brief chat back in, in March of this year with uh, Brent Spiner about... Uh, um, of course, he suggested that uh, the series is likely to be rebooted, which whether he did or not, or whether they said, with the success of you know, the, the new Star Trek movie, do you think? Um, so that that got us thinking. There was another article too. I think it's been now. Uh, Dave's put the link on our, our Facebook page, um, which it's just a, a fun look at, you know, now we're getting a lot more of these reboots coming out of, of our favorite shows and, and, um, and movies. You know, who would you cast? You know, uh, if Star Trek Next Generation was reboot, rebooted and went in a more serious vein, um, like the new Star Trek movie went, you know, who would you go for? You know, who would we put? Uh, who would who would who would play Data? Who would play Worf? And uh, yeah, so we just thought it'd be a fun kind of take the characters and 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 just kind of go with it and you know what kind of uh, spin that would put on you know on the movie. So join us for that. I think it'll be a bit of fun. Nothing hugely serious, just a bit of fun. All right, as I as I said, uh, we are seriously way over time. Um, I'm not divorced yet, but it, it's close. <laughs> so um, 
thank you all for joining us, uh, and thank you for Perry for coming in very, very late, but uh, we're glad you just popped in for a minute, and uh, for Ken for hanging in there as long as you can. I know you've been busy in the background there. So, um, yes, uh, stand by for our, we're going to have a, uh, a new commentary out this week with any luck. Uh, we're, we're going back to Luther. Yes, Dave's been chomping at the bit to get into Series 2 of Luther, and uh, we've got more surprises coming up, of course, for commentaries in the future. So stick with us. Dave, anything before we depart? No, brilliant. Thank you for everybody for staying so long. Uh, uh, I know sometimes our episodes are under two hours, but it's nice to occasionally <laughs> to just flex our muscles. And I think on the longer show, that allows me to have had four mistakes, not two. Oh, there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, all, it's, it's, it's you know, like like uh, some of the, the prequel episodes. It's all George Lucas's fault. Uh, <laughs> anyway, until next time, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.